Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Kevin Benitez. Just kicking it here with uh, Mr. Ortega on Collection of Conversations. Let's get it. Yo, yo, yo. My name is Alex. This is a Collection of Conversations. It's a beautiful night to be alive. And today I'm with somebody very special to me personally, a leader, a change agent, someone that has inspired me and I know has inspired so many people before me and will inspire so many people after me. Mr. Kevin Benitez. Let's give it up. We got a whole crowd for you, brother. <laughs> thousands and thousands of people in attendance, man. So I'm going to read your bio, man. I know this is going to make you uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it to kind of capture some stuff before we get started, before we deep dive deep into this episode of A Collection of Conversations. But whew, let's get it. Kevin has over 18 years of experience working with veterans in a variety of capacities. After graduating with his master's degree in social work with a specialization in military veterans and families, Kevin began his career as a program manager for the Battle Buddy Bridge Program at Volunteers of America Los Angeles, which was a veteran peer-to-peer -peer program in Orange County. Kevin provided oversight for the daily operation of the program, as well as clinical supervision for all of the peer support specialists and MSW interns. Kevin always had in affinity for student veterans and decided to move on to a position as a care coordinator at the University of Southern, Calif Southern California, where he carefully coordinated care, where he provided case management for veterans and their families. After his time at USC, Kevin decided to pursue a career in education where he became adjunct faculty at Long Beach City College, where he worked as a veterans counselor for the Veteran Resource Center. During his time at LBCC, Kevin taught classes in career exploration and orientation to college success, as well as providing academic counseling for student veterans and their families. Kevin also provided resource navigating where he guided student veterans and their families through the resource maze in Los Angeles and Orange County. God damn, you've done a lot. Currently, Kevin is a full-time tenure-track faculty at Santa Monica College where he is the program leader for the VRC. Kevin provides oversight to the program as well as managing grants, coordinating services, providing military cultural training for both faculty and staff. He also manages daily operations, providing clinical supervision to social work interns and provides counseling for student veterans and their families. His skills include strategic planning, navigating the resource maze, training and providing peer support to his sisters and brothers in arms. Kevin is a combat veteran who served in the United States Army from 2000 to 2005. He was deployed to the Pentagon, Kosovo, Bulgaria, Kuwait, and Iraq, and truly understands the difficulty faced by veterans firsthand. Kevin is passionate about helping veterans and excited for his opportunity to continue serving veterans at all costs. Kevin spends his free time playing soccer, fantasy football, and hanging out with his beautiful, lovely, caring wife, Elizabeth, and his service dog, Smokey. Give it up to motherfucking Smoke Dog. One of my favorite motherfucking dogs in the world. Make sure he hears this. Yeah, Smoke Dog's going to hear this. What's going on, bro? Thank you for doing this, man. Thanks, bro. Hey, that was a lot of shit you've done in your life in nah, a short you period. Just read a long-ass intro. That's <laughs> you know what was crazy? Yeah. There was two parts there where I was out of breath. <laughs> exactly, like, bro. That's what I'm saying. You're reading too much shit. Where I was like, man. Oh, wait. Oh, you're allowed to cuss? Yeah, of oh, course, my bad, man. My yeah, bad. Just talk I freely, man. Whatever you want. But, like, I kind of hope and wish you don't do more stuff. So, in case I do, you like, interview you again, I don't have to read all that again. <laughs> oh, man. 
where do we even start, brother? You've done so much, man. Thank you for being here. I know it's uh you're coming from uh you know uh Ventura County, I think is the county, right? Ventura yeah. County. So uh what's up, man? How you feeling today? Is this your first time being on a podcast? Yeah, for sure. I'm super nervous, bro. Even though I'm just kicking it with you, I'm super nervous, but nervous, yeah. huh? Why are you I'm nervous? Here. What makes you nervous? I don't know, just having the mic on and the headset. But other than that, I'm good. Hey, has anybody ever told you that you look good with headphones on before? <laughs> Definitely not. Because I don't look good without headphones on, so I'm good. <laughs> That's so true, man. Yeah, exactly. So Damn, it's true that I don't look good? Okay. No, it's all right. You look all right. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> exactly. You be it's looking night or whatever. It's not good. Yeah, man. So that was so much professionally and so much of your accomplishments, what you've done in a professional capacity. I know I'm a product of the the, the Kevin Benitez magic that you that you send out in the world, but um, you're somebody that I wanted to talk to because personally, you're a mentor of mine. Um, you started off as a supervisor of mine, a mentor of mine, um, a pillar of hope. Um, and I think now, you know, we've kind of evolved into friends, and I think that we've even evolved a step a step deeper into like I see you as a big brother of mine. You know, um, you're a, you're a, you're a a counselor of mine. You you filled my calls when things get a little dark and crazy for me personally, and you put up with a lot of my shit. You're also known to tell me like, hey, you need to calm the hell down. So, um, I appreciate you tremendously. And the premise of this, the idea of this are, is just to collect these conversations because time is always fleeting. Time is always, um, it's never guaranteed. It's never promised. And these are special moments that I get to spend with you. So being able to capture them is always important for me. So before we get into all the professional stuff, man, one thing I've never really got to chop it up to with you about is like your childhood, man. What, what was your childhood like growing up? Uh, all right. Well, I mean... It's not, I guess, I, I look at it like it's not complicated, but I'm the only child, um, so a lot of people thought that I was spoiled, but I came from basically just a poor family, right? My parents are both immigrants. My dad came from Honduras. My mom came from Chile. They met in L.A., and, um, and that's it. And then I was, you know, born in, I think, in, I mean, I was born in L.A. General Hospital, my mom always keeps throwing it in my face that uh, she paid $14 for me to be born. <laughs> she always throws it in my face. I paid $14. Like, yeah, $14 para ti. And I'm like, damn, man, that's pretty fucking. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad. Thing. <laughs> that's $14. Like, damn. But, um, but yeah, she, so, uh, so I was the only child and um, just, you know, grew up simple, you know, didn't have... A lot of resources my dad always worked typical you know latino father always bring being the breadwinner and um yeah and then my my mom always took care of me you know from home and then that was it you know i didn't have um a good relationship with my dad because of that because he always worked all the time so um but yeah that's pretty much it as far as childhood. Shit, I never knew that $14. I bet you now she's <laughs> like, man, that's $14 I could have spent somewhere else. I know. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> so Honduras, your pops, Chile, your mom. Yeah. And then two immigrants. So uh, what? So 
like what was the household like was it predominantly english was it spanglish was it what what was how did that get down go shit that was just spanish oh just spanish yeah no there, there was no spanglish none of that it was all spanish so uh my primary language is spanish that's what i learned first i learned english off of sesame street i didn't oh, i didn't i didn't learn english off of school i learned it off of sesame street i learned how to count everything on my own so my mom would put sesame street on and then she's like oh tienes que aprender mijo and i'm like damn like my mom doesn't even know how to fucking count you know so she would tell me to go on sesame street and watch this stuff um damn what was it uh, it was the uh count the count Dracula, right? Dracula, oh, Dracula or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it didn't even count back to backwards or whatever. So that would get me into it. And I was like, okay, now I know how to count because of whatever whatever it was, it was like two, two bats, three, three bats. I still remember that, bro, from, no from being growing up. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is what that means. Like literally seeing bats flying. Okay, that's two. That means two. That means dos. So I got it. You know, so that's how I learned how to speak English and stuff. And then the letters, they would, you know, do it forwards, backwards. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, damn, now thinking back of it, it's like, it's pretty crazy because when people would ask me, I mean, going through high school, they asked me, what was your primary language? And I said Spanish. And then they, they put me in ESL classes. And looking back at it, bro, that was like my first signs that I ever got, like, some racism towards me. Because in high school, they were like, okay, you're, you're, what was the first language you spoke? I'm like, Roger that, Spanish. And then they were like, okay. So they put me in ESL classes. And in the ESL classes, they actually, um, I was excelling. <laughs> I was getting A's, you know, A, just straight up A's. And they were like, well, you're too good to be in these classes. I was like, well, you put me here. You asked me what my primary language was, it's Spanish. I know how to speak English because I was born here. But because my last name was Benitez, because I told them my primary language is Spanish, they put me in ESL. And then, so that was the first ever sign I ever got from racism. And and I was in high school. And then my aunt was the one that stepped up and she flipped on the principal. But yeah, that's, that's you know, a different story. Damn, that's crazy. I never knew that you, you learned. So your mom had the, the foresight to say like, hey, I can't help you with this language, but I know this cartoon can. So it was very intentional yeah. on you like tuning into it. Yeah, bro, I was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like OG shit, you know, Mr. Rogers, um, yeah, Sesame Street. I, I legit learned English from Sesame Street. Damn, I'm not that's lie. crazy. I never yeah, knew that. Because I, I never went to preschool, so I went straight into first grade. I didn't went to kindergarten. Well, actually, I did half of kindergarten, so because my mom was like, oh, tengo miedo, and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So you just had things to do. You're like, hey, I'll catch the second half. Like, I'm, I'm, I got some shit to do. <laughs> yeah, for real, man. That's crazy, man. So um, so the TV raised you for English-wise. Yeah, English. Language. Yeah. Damn, and your pops was out of the pad working, like traditional yeah. Latino, and your mom was a like a stay-at-home mom. Like, so, you're first, so off the bat, it was all Spanish growing up in the house. Definitely all Spanish, yeah. Even my family, all of them just spoke Spanish to me. I never knew that English was your second language, bro. I don't know. I never, I never, I never. <laughs> yeah. I bro. mean, you got a little accent or whatever, but I was like, <laughs> I just thought that was from like accent. <laughs> That's, funny That's yeah. crazy, man. So when you say that you experienced racism in high school, was that based on them putting you in the ESL because of your last name and that, or what, yeah. what, what, what did racism look like to you? Well, I, I didn't, I never knew what racism was because I never experienced it because my parents, well, 
I would say my dad was the one that would always try to take me out of the hood, try to take me out of like areas that um, presented danger to our family. So he would do his best to try to take me out of any conditions where I would be part of a gang or any of that stuff. So I appreciate that from my dad. But um, at the same time, like when I went to Arcadia High School, Arcadia is primarily white and Asian. Okay. So when I was there, it was based on my last name. And then they asked me, they literally asked me, what is, what is your primary language? I was like, Roger that Spanish. Or, you know, I was what, 14, 15. And they're like, okay, we're going to put you in ESL because technically English is your second, second language. language. Okay. So I went there and then I started going through classes and they're like, oh no, but your last name is Benitez. You say your primary language is this. And I was like, but I was born here. It's different. I'm, I'm, I'm with my classmates that are Japanese, Korean, Mexican that were literally born in those countries, but they put me in that class based on what I answered. So I never knew that that's what racism was until I experienced it when they started pushing me aside to where I wasn't part of the general population. Oh, right? shit. I, I, I didn't know about it until my, my aunt was the one that brought it up. She's like, no, they're fucking being racist towards you. So we need to do this. And I was like, okay, my, you know, what am I going to do? And then my mom, she didn't know because she didn't speak any English, so she's not going to advocate for me. So my aunt did. So, yeah, that, that's one of the things that's fascinating about me because, you know, English for me is my first language. So were you, did you find yourself being the language broker? Like, what is it, language broker a lot of times? Like, <laughs> brokers, they ain't, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, like, you were <laughs> the one kind of educating your mom on school policies and, and uh, on all of that? Or did you kind of stay out of that and just go with the flow? What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people that are Latinos, I mean, shit, if they're in my generation or even in, younger they're going to understand that they're going to be translators at a really young age you know so when when i'm five years old you know i'm sitting there in like first grade kindergarten translating for the whole entire college or, or for the whole entire school um and i'm translating a whole speech that's being done by let's say the president or whatever i'm sitting there translating it i had to translate that for all the latino parents at my oh, school no shit. i had to do that at six man and, and they just recruited you to do that no or? they just said who's who speaks the best english in the class <laughs> you, you know me bro i'm like hey <laughs> I'm, like, hey. I'm like oh, i'm right here so and, and they were like okay they're like hey kevin and they're like okay he sounds white so let's do it you know because my my name is kevin so they're like okay yeah. well let's go with that so um so yeah, so that that's what that that's how it happened. It's like all these young generations of Latinos, they're all translators for their parents. And they don't look at it like, wow, it's a big deal. I'm just doing it to survive to to you know, fulfill my parents' whatever they have going on, you know, because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's like survival. So I have if I have to translate, I'm not I'm not gonna hesitate and be like, Oh, I can't do that. But now that I look back when I'm 40 years old, I'm like, damn, you know, I actually appreciate that because I can read, write and speak Spanish where it's like other people, they can understand it, whatever. So I have an advantage and then I relate that to the workforce. So That's, it kind of helps me out. It helped you out at, at that time, like navigating through high school, like high school is a, a, you know, difficult, you know, for, for, for some of us or for all of us, I don't know, but when you needed help for homework or for papers, how did you navigate that? Like, who did you go to? Like, how, if your parents don't speak English, how did you get through? Because that seems like that's a big thing to overcome right off the bat. Like, being a youngster, first, like, teaching your yeah. parents. Like, how did you overcome 
middle school, high school, getting your grades. I'm assuming you graduated from high school. Yeah. How did that? How did that? How did, <laughs> Because it's remarkable. Yeah. Like, how does that even happen? You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, so Arcadia High School had, um, I, like I said, it was white, primarily white and Asian. So minorities, there was only three, 23 minorities that graduated the year I did. 23 out of the whole entire the high school. The whole class? Yeah, the whole class, it was 23. And I was just one of them. So as the minorities were considered um, not Asian. It was just considered Latinos and blacks. So... We all, you know, we all hung out together, whatever. So I couldn't rely on my parents to help me out for homework or, you know, essay writing. I couldn't do none of that. So I just had to, like, figure it out, you know. And at that time, there was no Internet. So it was really tough just doing research, trying to look stuff up, you know, going to the library. I mean, looking back after, I mean, when you ask that question, I'm like, shit, how did I get through that? Because I had no support from my parents at all. Um you know, I would say with math, it was probably the easiest one to where my parents helped me. But I would learn through, um, I guess, just <laughs> negative and positive reinforcement. Like, you know, my dad would be like, okay, we're going to do timetables, right? Old school back in the day, right? And then whenever I would get the timetables wrong, my dad would get fucking mad. He would get pissed. He was like, no, fucking this, mijo, and this and that. How the fuck are you going to say Six times two is like 13, you know, when you, when you know it's 12. So that negative reinforcement, oh, I'm like, shit. oh, shit, I don't want my dad to get mad at me, so I need to get the shit right. So I would study in the middle of the night, and I was by myself, so I couldn't I couldn't hit up anybody or, or do anything. So I would, just, um, I would just try to figure it out and then do some research on my books, try to just study, and that was it. But there was no – I had no support, to be honest. Damn, and 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 um, what what was your household like? Like middle school, high school, was it a stable household? Was there chaos? What what was that like? Shit. Um, growing up, I mean, my parents were always. Uh, I would say they were. I would say they were always probably arguing, but just because they didn't get along well. But um, I mean, I I don't know if there was any love in their relationship but i just had to navigate whatever i had to do to get through so like growing up my dad always said i don't want my dad and my son to be a gang member right so for example the first time i bought um <laughs> for those old school dudes that are born in the 80s that ever remember solo jeans that were sold in a swap meet <laughs> bro if you remember solo jeans they i mean if anybody's listening they're, they're like oh <laughs> shit i remember solo jeans they were sold in swami so they were like the, the the baggy jeans like the shit that you would wear back in the day so i bought a pair of solo jeans i worked my ass off to get a pair and my dad got so pissed off and he's like you're not gonna become a fucking gang member and he literally tore him up bro he tore him up like cut him up he, shit. he cut him up he saw him and he cut him up and i was like fucking mad man i'm not gonna lie i was just pissed off and then uh, what's crazy is that he he cut them through the seams to get rid of them, right? So, like, he cut them through the seams instead of chopping them up, uh, I guess, what, laterally? Yeah. So he cut the seams so that way I couldn't wear them. So the crazy part is I was, like, fucking bawling in my room. I was like, this is bullshit. How old were you? How old were you? Shit, probably, like, <laughs> I don't know, probably, like, 12 or 13. And then, and then my mom saw me crying and she, and my mom's a seamstress, which is crazy. So then I hit on my mom and I was like, Hey, so my pants are kind of fucked up. 
can you help me out? So she, so she saw me crying. She's like, oh, ahorita te los arreglo, mijo. I'll fix them. I'll fix them. I'm like, okay, Roger that. So she fixed them, but she she made them close, like uh, she made them snug to my legs, so they wouldn't be saggy or baggy. And then so my dad didn't even know. Oh, you still rocked them? Yeah, so I still rocked them. So she fixed them or whatever. And I still rocked them or whatever, but they weren't baggy anymore. But like I wasn't never considered the cool kid. I was always considered like the class clown. They would always like, oh, you know, Kevin's super funny. He's always joking around, blah, blah. But I was never considered like the cool kid or any of that stuff. Is that, was that a, a mechanism, like a defense mechanism in some way? Like being the, the jokester or the funny guy? Yeah, dude. I mean, comedy is <laughs> shit. If you know me, bro, if anybody that's listening knows me, dude, uh, laughter is my coping. Like, laughter is my coping, bro, because I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be here right now if I couldn't laugh at how, life. How did you, know? you? How did you? How did you find that? Like, how did you tune into that so young? Shit, I don't even know, man. I mean, I I think that um, I think that a lot of the the stuff that I was dealing with growing up, I just had to like find a way to get out of it. And I, since I couldn't deal with it, with like I'm never, I've never been like an angry type. Like you know me, bro. I'm not angry. I'm always like trying to joke, trying to uh break like the the whatever's causing the anger whatever's causing that i just try to break it with um with humorous acts you know whether it's like me overacting maybe maybe it's me doing something dumb to make other people laugh because that makes me happy so i, I don't know if i found it or it just found me yeah you know I mean? oh that's interesting yeah like like humor might have found me and then i was like okay cool like now i know that humor is what helps me cope with this type of shit and you just that that was your that was your get down since then like yeah since, yeah that's dude. crazy so that's why i just crack jokes i love comedians i like laughing at dumb shit you know so that's fucking even to this day man every time i'm with you i usually i end up always the next day i always <laughs> like I'll, the next day after i hang out with you i'll just be chilling like doing my my program and then i'll just think of some shit you said and i'll just start chuckling <laughs> I'm like, man, like some of the things fly over my head. And then like the next day I'll be like, did that dude really say that? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's funny, man. So you, you, you navigate high school pretty much being the, the provider for yourself and, you know, navigating your household, not navigating academics. Um, what I'm always interested in is like, was there any pillars of hope in the educational setting that you found? Like, was there a teacher, a counselor, somebody that, that gave you that, that drive or that gave you that, uh, you know, that idea in your head that you can do it? Like, did you come across any of those people or was it all self? Oh, man. I mean, there was no, I I can't, honestly, I can't point out, like, teachers that inspired me. Um, to, yeah, <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but there's there, there was no teachers that inspired me. I was looking at it like uh, just an end goal. Like, okay, I need to graduate high school because my parents told me to. Gotcha. I, I, I never said like, oh, I'm going to be educated or whatever. It was always because, oh, it's my parents told me to. So I just got to stay out of trouble and graduate. And then that was it. Um, there was a couple of teachers that I can remember from high school, but I, I, I would be lying if I said they inspired me. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of that was self-driven. Like yeah. Your, 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 that idea of the, the pressure of the parents or the not, not getting that negative repercussion of not knowing math or whatever that was yeah. the, the, the driving factor. Man, that that's crazy to look back on and think like I don't I don't know what that's like. You know, I I can't imagine what it's like like 
not going home and not having anybody. Because, you know, I had a couple of brothers and sisters, so it's like going home and just being you and being like, hey, figure this shit out. Like, don't mess this up. You know, like, that seems like a, a lot of pressure early on. Right. No, it, and it does because, um, yeah, when, when you don't have any support, it's like, you know, back in the day, it's like you don't go to tutoring and all that other shit because you don't, I mean, I would take the bus home from school. You know, and then you have all the issues with bullies, all the other stuff going on. So you're not trying to take the bus back to school to get tutoring. Like, you're just trying to get the hell out of high school, you know, just trying to get out. Okay, bell rings, boom, I'm gone. Like, I'm trying to hop on the first bus to get back out to the house. And then even in the uh, where I lived, I mean, Arcadia was like, it was really expensive. And so I would live in Monrovia, which is the next city over. Monrovia is mainly Latinos, so uh, I would have to take the first bus over because then you, if I took the bus that was later, you would get like those jerks that were coming from Pasadena, all that stuff coming from LA later on in the day. So I would try to avoid that. Got you. You yeah. said you said that those pants that you bought, you said you busted your ass. Did you work in high school, or were you like out there slanging newspapers, or what were you? <laughs> like? Uh, no, I mean shit. To be honest, my dad put me to work probably what I was probably like 10 or 11. <laughs> he would take me to the swap meet and be like, okay, mijo, like, you want a Super Nintendo? You better work for that shit. And I was like, damn, this shit is not Super no more because I don't want it. I'll take a Nintendo. I don't want a Super one. You're like so, $100 less? Yeah, exactly. I'll take the discount. But uh, what's crazy is that I learned a lot of the, um, a lot of the business aspects from my dad because what I started doing, not to get too far into it, but what I started doing is like I started noticing the products that my dad was selling the most. So oh, so wait, hold up. So your dad actually was a vendor in a swap meet? Yeah. Oh, I never. Yeah, knew that. he did that for like, uh, dang, bro, he he did that for a long time, like throughout high school and everything. And then, so w- what I started doing is I would help him, and I would say, okay, like. I'm just going to work, you know, and he would give me like an allowance. I would work for him or whatever. And then he would give me an allowance, but he feels bad now because he would wake me up at five in the morning. And I was a little kid and he would wake me up at five. Okay, mijo, we got to go to work. I'm like, roger that. I would go. Right. (laughs) So this is the crazy part is I was always scoping out. What were the things that he was selling? So I would tell my dad, okay, look, I'm going to work for you on these days, but instead of you paying me, I want a blender. I want this. I want that item. And I would resell it for more money so I would make more money off of it. Oh, on your own? On my own. And my dad started seeing that and he's like, oh, this little motherfucker's smart. Like, he's like, oh, shit. So he's making more money than when I'm giving him. And I got, you know, so my dad was proud of me at that time, but he never told me that he until now that I got older. And he was like, mijo, I saw that, like, that, that, how did you think of that on your own? And I was like, dude, I, I don't know. Like, I, maybe it was a survival tactic. Maybe I was trying to hustle. So I would literally be like, okay, he's selling these blenders really fast. So I'm like, okay, papi, voy a trabajar todo el día, but you're going to give me three of these blenders. My dad would be like, what? Like, I'm not going to give you that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to work. <laughs> but right? right, you better give me money then. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go on strike like the NFL. So then my dad would be like, okay, fine. I'm going to give you these three blenders. So what I would do is I would resell them for like triple the money. And back then, you didn't have no offer up Craigslist. So <laughs> nah, what would you do? Nah, nah. Door to just, door? No, I would just be like a cute-ass kid. Like, ah, oh, senora, quiero una blender. And, you know? Like, hey, mango. And then she was like, what? Like, it, it does mango? I'm like, yeah, you can do fruit juices. 
you know, so I would mix stuff in there, bro. I remember, man. And then my dad starts seeing that. He's like, oh, shit. Like, he, he's got some smart. So, and even going back, bro, like, not to not to make a long story short, but but uh, I, I, I remember, bro, I was in, what, fourth grade. And there was this kid, bro, and he was slanging these, uh, I don't want to say slanging, but he was selling these, uh, <laughs> these comic book cards. And he would sell them for like $4 a piece. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, but there were comic book cards back in the day, like Wolverine, Captain America. There was that collectibles. And I was like, okay, what if I buy your whole album? And he's like, no, I can't do that. Right. I can't do that. I can't sell you the whole thing. I was like, I'll give you a hundred dollars. I said that. Right. And then of course to a little child, like, Oh damn, a hundred dollars. I made it. I made (laughs) it rich. So what I did was I asked my dad for a loan. I literally went to my dad for a loan. I was like, Papi, if you give me a hundred dollars, I'm gonna give you 150 back. And my dad was like, What the heck? Like, how is a child telling me that? This is my own train of thought, bro. And then I told him, I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'll give you 150 back if you give me a hundred bucks. So you know, you know, my daddy's like, oh, whatever. He's just a child, he's not gonna do nothing. So he gave me the hundred bucks, bro. So I went to the school, his name was Raphael, and I was like, Raphael. <laughs> I gave him the cash, bro. That dude flipped out. His eyes literally popped out of his head. And he was like, oh, yeah, take it. Take it. Like, he gave me the whole thing. He, he's never seen that much money in his life. Dude, right in front of him, I literally grabbed it, and I started slanging the cards right in front of him. Right? And I was like, boom, boom, boom. I started, But I started selling them less than when he was giving them because I would sell the whole album out. Oh, faster. wholesale that joint. Dude, so I sold like $300 worth. So I came back to my dad, and I gave him the 100, 150 and my dad didn't take it. He was like, nah, man. He's like, you worked your ass off for that. He's like, I can't believe that you literally were going to give me, you're in fourth grade. Oh, you're shit. literally going to give me 150 bucks back. He's like, keep that, mijo, it's fine. He was, so you let me keep it. And he's like, since then, I knew you were going to be like a fucking uh, hustler trying to figure it out. Yeah. Damn. So it's, it's crazy and shit, you, bro. You just, you just had that inherently. You just. Yeah, man. My dad never taught me that. So, I mean, you could ask him, bro. That's a true story. That's like, that's, that's true, bro. And then my dad was like, how the fuck did my son learn this shit? Like, being a trancero and shit. But, man, yeah, man, bro. It's kind of shady. No, I, I, I think that's brilliant, man. Yeah. I didn't know your dad worked as like a swap meet vendor. Where, where was he getting the items from? He was getting them from Sears. All the, all the stuff from Sears. Clearance and shit. Yeah, clearance shit that people would return. So he would fix them. It was like treadmills. He would fix all the stuff from Sears. And then he would take them, put them in the truck. And then, and then yeah, wake me up and we'd go to the Swami, man. Santa Fe Springs, Riverside. I mean, we went to all kinds of Swamis, man. And that was just his hustle. That's how he made a living. Yeah. I mean, he did that after he was doing body work. Because my dad just worked on cars his whole life. Your pops was like the Honduran Gary V, bro. He was just flipping stuff all day. <laughs> that's yeah, a, that's amazing. He was ahead of the that. game. He was a couple yeah. of decades ahead of the game. So then yeah. you do that during high school. You figure it out. You graduate. What what was graduation like? The pops, like the moms, pops come through, or was it like a big thing for you all? Or what what does that timeline look like? Uh, it wasn't a big thing, man. I mean, they were just proud of me that I graduated, but. I never felt like I was like, oh man, like, you know, it's a big, it's a big, huge thing. They, they just, it, it wasn't. It was more like a completion. Like, oh, okay, my, my mijo did it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You know, it wasn't like, oh my god, I'm so proud of them because they ain't got no money for to send me to college. So it was what's, just like, what's the next step? Yeah, yeah, and I guess the reason why I ask is I know a lot, a lot of Latinx families or communities, they're they're 
generationally they may not have graduated high school so that's usually a milestone that's like dude you graduated yeah. high school like we made it life is good but for y'all where your dad was just like hey just get to work yeah exactly <laughs> brother like oh you're 18 you're an adult okay and yeah. uh no problem graduating you kind of breeze through it on the back end yeah but i would say i was like a 2.0 student not <laughs> like hey i was like c's get degrees but is that because you were out there slanging blenders or because you were, <laughs> you, you struggled academically <laughs> yeah i suck at math bro my science was my strong suit because i liked animals i wanted to be a veterinarian zoologist but and it wasn't happening because i wasn't good at math so i was really good at chemistry and all that stuff but i was not good at math so yeah, clearly, I don't know what day it is. I don't know how to count. So, yeah, I'm not good at math. Hey, you were, you got to algebra, and then you were like, Count Dracula never said N or M. Exactly. Or I'm like, like, oh, he taught me to speak in English, not to count. But, yeah. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. bro. And then you graduated in 99, 2000? When did you graduate? 99, that was, yeah. 99. 2000, I joined the Army. So then, so then, yeah, that's a good segue right there. So you graduate, oh, and then you do it like the movies and shit. You throw your 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 cap in the air, and you're like, "I made it!" Or what do you do? Like, what, nah, what? this is the funny part. My dad, my mom, legit told me not to throw the cap in there because I wouldn't get it back. <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, okay, mom." And she's like, she's old like, school senora. Yeah, she's like, nah, yeah, keep nah, that shit like, on, nah, player. Nah. She's like, uh, we pay for that, so you're not even gonna throw it in the air. She because specifically told you that. Yeah. You're not joking. Yeah, she That's said. Amazing. She said you could, and I was like, but mom, but but everybody does it, and she's like, okay, mijo, but we legit pay for it. So if you're gonna throw it in the air, you better get the same one back. Bro, do me a favor. One of the things I love oh, that dude. you do, <laughs> no real favor, man. It's a life favor. One of the things that I love that you do that make me always chuckle. Is that when you when you when you when you when you translate your mom's voice in Spanish? So I want to see how did she how, how did she tell you? Because it's always the same. It's always like mijo. Like how did she tell you not to throw your hat your cap in Spanish? Well, no, I mean, I try to make it like Mexican, so it sounds like familiar. <laughs> yeah. But if it was legit, my mom, oh man, she'd be like. You compre esa mierda, you know? Like <laughs> I, love when, like, I love when you straight up say, like, you compre esa mierda, no la tires. Like, straight up, like, I bought that shit, don't throw it. You know, because if you throw it, you finna get fucked up after this. And I'm like, damn, okay. Yeah. I always love, we have a story. Yesterday, we had a story when you were talking about the mattress. We're not gonna get into it, but when you're like, leave esa mierda. Yeah, dude, for real. Deja esa mierda ahí atrás. And I'm like, the fuck that should just almost kill somebody on the freeway oh, let's not say that God. yeah but, but uh, okay okay we're that's gonna... hilarious when you always reverence your mother because uh yeah it's just it's funny to me because you always say with passion like she's very oh, passionate she's when very she speaks. passionate woman yeah so you didn't throw the hat you were bummed out you're like man i wish i could throw it you were like a baseball player like if i could throw it i can catch it but the wind variables so then you graduate <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i was thinking about the wind you graduate high school you go to work yeah. or you just straight fucking hey i'm going to the military like how, how do you this is what i trip out on right for myself generationally a military was always an out i don't want to be disrespectful to military but that was always an option hey so-and-so did it so-and-so did it so-and-so did it that's what we do do it for you being first generation and then first generation military how does that even come about when does that start to enter into your mind as an option as an opportunity how do your parents see it break that shit all down for us oh shit okay well um so i would say that for the most part my um so my mom was in chile when I joined the army. So I pretty much uh, messaged my mom. I called her and I said, Hey man, 
you know, I'm, I'm joining the army. Um, and then my mom was very supportive because her dad was in the Marines in Chile. So at that point, um, I knew she would be supportive of me joining the military. However, my dad was not. So um, he was like, why are you going to join? Why are you going to join for so many years? You can get killed. These things can happen. But he wasn't realizing that the reason that I was joining is because that was my way out. So I continued um, trying to find a way out of my situation because I knew that my dad and my mom could not pay for my education. Um, and I and I knew that I need to be educated in order to um, to j just be able to, I guess, survive or make a good living. So that's when I decided that I should join the military because of the way that things were with my family. They weren't going to be able to pay for anything. And then, um, and yeah, and that, that's the reason that, that I honestly joined. I, I graduated high school. I had three jobs. I had a 99 Mustang, which is brand new. Damn. Yeah, bro. My Where dad, were you working? Where were you working those three jobs? So I You quit at, the blenders industry? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, worked, I worked at Domenico's. Uh, it was an Italian restaurant in, in Monrovia. Uh, now it doesn't exist, but it was called Warehouse Music, where they used to sell CDs. I remember right? that. Dude. Yeah, bro. So I used to work at Warehouse Music, slanging CDs, and this other place called uh, it. It was a grocery store, so I was like a bag boy. So I worked three jobs just to pay for my Mustang. And at that <laughs> time, I was like, man, this is super cool, right? But I was super stressed out. So what my dad did is that he said, "You're gonna have to make the payments on this car, but I'm gonna I'm gonna help you with down payment." So I can't lie and say my dad was always an asshole. He was cool. He helped me with down payment. But, um, yeah, and then that leads to a different story, bro, where I crashed that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's a viewer right now or somebody listening being like, yo, how did you, before we go back to the military, how did you crash your Mustang, bro? Oh, man. Can I, that's a cliffhanger, bro. That's a cliffhanger. So uh, that's a cliffhanger for sure, and we're going to get right into that really want to know uh well basically long story short um i was coming back from uh from a, a party back in the day and i didn't get enough sleep and uh i fell asleep at the wheel literally crashed my car my brand new mustang bro 1999 mustang I crashed it off of the 605 freeway, and I look at the fence every time I, I'm on the 605 because there's a discoloration in the fence where I crashed it. I literally flipped the car, almost killed myself, and then um, uh, I came out unscathed, right? I had, like, a cut on my on my throat from the seatbelt, and then my, t my dad took the blame, but the funny thing was is that he didn't take, he didn't take the blame um for like personal reasons i guess he took it because he didn't want his insurance to go up <laughs> he, he had me on his insurance so my dad was like okay i i uh i was on the 605 with the with the mustang and uh a deer crossed the road even the chp were like really dude was a deer off the 605 like come on now but he took the hit 
so that's not on my um, DMV record <laughs> because my dad took the hit for that. But um, after that happened, there was no um, there was no support after that because I was going to Rio Hondo College at the time. I was trying to you know trying to figure out what I was gonna do after the high school, and then uh, next thing you know, you know I, I decided to join the army. So after oh. after that accident, accident, you were an eight, 18, already graduated high school? Yeah. And you're like, dude, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. So I, I decided to join the Army after that because um, there was nothing else I can do. Like, my parents were going to be able to afford me going through education. So I was like, okay, this my whole life they've been saying, okay, you got to get educated, got to get educated. But at the same time, like, I got to look at reality. My parents weren't going to face, were, were not going to pay for me to get educated. So I thought the only way I'm going to move up in society is just to, um, you know, get, you know, get educated. And, and I can't do that if they're not going to pay for it. So I looked at the Army. My buddy Eli was there. Shout he, out to the homie Eli. Yeah, so shout out to the homie Eli. So he's a first sergeant right now. Uh, in the in the army active duty and uh he told me he was like hey man i made it through boot camp i know if i can do it you can do it i <laughs> know <laughs> uh, we're both we're both tortas so if, if i can do it you can do it you're out of shape i'm out of shape we can do it bro so i was like all right cool let me do that and then uh yeah he connected me his recruiter and then we did the buddy program and then we both joined the army together oh wait so he was he already in he was, but but because of the way the buddy program was, is that he had not gone to boot camp yet. So then oh, he t- gotcha. he told me about it. He was on the uh, what is the delayed entry program? Yeah, DP or DP. So so then his recruiter was like, "Hey, if I can recruit this boy right here, um, you guys can go in his E 2s together." Oh, so okay. so he was motivated. My boy Eli was like, "Hey, bro, you give me this fifty dollar raise." Yeah, baby. come on, bro, you got to join. I was like, "Oh man!" So I did it, and then next thing you know, we're both E twos, and yeah, that was that. That was it. Yeah. So you joined the military based on the idea of education. Like you had that forethought of like, "Hey, if I join this fucking military thing, I'm gonna be able to go to college." <clears throat> like you already had a plan of your post exit. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I already had a post exit like strategy yeah i I wasn't like hey i'm gonna go all in on the army and be command sergeant major like i was like nah i need to be educated get out do my thing and then that was it so yeah so i signed up for five years and yeah so you were never like hector hua you were not like hey i'm gonna be a hua like nah because because think about it bro i didn't have anybody in my family that gave me any guidance to be like hey you know um you can do this in the military. You can be a sergeant. You can be, I, I mean, think about the transition when it comes to Latino parents. And that's one yeah. thing that I talk about is like me trying to explain the military to my parents. They wouldn't get it. You know, when they came to the base, the first time I was there, they were like, wow, this is like a city. It has its own grocery store. It has its own airfield, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, what do you think the military is? And they're like, well, you know, they're used to the military in their own country where it's all fucked up. You know, they don't have like, um, they don't have, they don't, they don't have the resources that the U.S. military has. 
So how did that conversation go with your folks? Like, how did that even get down? You're like, yo, dude, I'm doing, joining the military with my homeboy. Like, I'm out of here. Yeah, pretty much. And then I, I called my mom. She was in Chile already. And I told her, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to join the military. And, um, you know, I signed a contract for five years. I'm going to be military police. And my mom was like, oh, wow, okay. And she's like, so, and this is... Uh, in 2000 so this is before you know 9-11 happened so in my head i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna go into the military do my thing get out get my education i'm good to go like i don't have to go to you know any combat or anything and literally a year after i joined you know 9-11 happened shit popped off next thing you know i'm going to fucking combat so wait I, that's too juicy to pass up so I, before we oh, get before we get into that because that that's like the <laughs> ultimate mind like fuck what did i just do man oh, trust so me, bro. so hold on so you you signed the contract with your boy eli shot to eli <clears throat> big homie cool dude been fishing with him legend super legend one of the funniest cool fucking warm just loving dudes like when i think of the military i think of people like eli straight up but anyway so you 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 sign your contract and then you why, why your mos like 31 bravos military police like why that like you know what i mean coming from where you came from was there a plan with that as well uh, well growing up i always wanted to be in i wanted i always wanted to be uniform like uniformed I always wanted to be in something that required some structure. So as growing up, I even asked my parents, like, hey, can I go into the Boy Scouts? And then my parents were like, oh, what is that? You know, and I said, well, I get to wear the uniform, <laughs> blah, blah. My tie parents, knots. I get to yeah, tie knots. Yeah, I get to tie <laughs> knots, do cool shit. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, <laughs> that's what happened. And then they were like, oh, well, we can't afford them damn uniforms. So you, you better make the best of it for this year. So I, d I actually did the Boy Scouts in uh, sixth grade. And then, and trust me, bro, I mean, no disrespect to Boy Scouts. I didn't get molested. I'm just telling you because a lot of them kids, I'm telling you, boy. Uh, but anyways, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was in Boy Scouts. I was happy. I, I learned to tie knots, clearly. And then <laughs> I learned how to do uh, camping, set up bonfires, stuff like that. But I always wanted some structure in my life because I felt like my life was chaos. Oh, so I, I, I sought for structure because my life outside of that was chaos. So I was like, okay, I, if I can take control of what I'm doing, then I can do it. So that's why I sought the things that had structure in it. So I was like, okay, military is perfect because it, it aligns with what i need because my life itself is chaos like my parents are always arguing all this other stuff yeah one's in chile one's here yeah man i mean think about it like having to call my mom i'm the only child bro so think about having to call my mom and tell her like you know hey i'm joining the military i signed my contract literally signed my life away they own me now you know how impactful that would be for my mom to be like the only child you know yeah it's 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 yeah that's powerful man and it's kind of getting into the weeds but i'm personally fascinated of uh, you know fascinated by this so you go and take your asvab because that's a, that's always a funny story did you take an asvab or no oh no i faked it but no no no, <laughs> no i took the asvab and then they gave me um they gave me like three options it was like mp i wanted mp but they gave me mp tanker and i <laughs> Yeah, a tanker, and I was like, nah, nah, I don't know what that is. I don't know what a tank is at that time. But, and it was like other stuff, you know, like 92 Alpha, 
like uh, type of administrative duties. And so then you took the, 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 the cool one, the uniform, the, one. the coolest one. Yeah. The coolest one that I could get at that time. And then Eli got, um, what was it? 88 kilo. So he was a watercraft operator. And then I went with, with, um, 95 at that time it was called uh, 95 Bravo. That oh, was MP shit. back okay. in the day. My they bad. changed it to 31 Bravo after my yeah. bad, my bad. No, yeah, no, 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 that that's good. No, 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 they did. Now it's 31 Bravo. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. So then uh you do your thing. What's that going away? Like like you just hug your pops, like like, hey, I'm out of here. I'm gonna do this cop thing. Uh no, I still got the pictures. My mom came back. Oh, I still nice. got the pictures from Meps when they dropped me off at the at the hotel in LA. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The West yeah, was it the Westin? I may be saying it wrong, but yeah, some my, hotel. Yeah, there. it's the dirty Sanchez Inn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really what it was because it was yeah. dirty, bro. But uh, yeah, I get placed in there with some <laughs> random, <laughs> with some random ass guy. And yeah, then, you just get put in a in yeah. a room, right? Yeah, man, with some random ass guy. And then he he's not even joining the army. He's joining like something else. And uh, yeah, that was it, man. They dropped me off, and I got the pictures from that night, man. I look so young. I I I, I have them on a photo album, man. I got to show them to you. But I would love to see them, dude. But yeah, so I, they dropped me off. My mom's cool. My dad, you know, my dad was more honestly. He was the one that was more like hurt by me leaving. But it's funny because a lot of the times I tell people like, oh, when they ask me, why did you join the military? It's because of my dad, because gotcha. of the lack of support that he gave me. Yeah, he probably felt some abandonment as well, right? Like his only or son. Guilt. You you were living with him at the time also, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or, bro. Definitely trying to make this about me, but just chopping it up with you right now, with you in front of me. When, when I went to um, MEPS, they put me in the room with some dude, right? And then, like, dude, I was not the ideal candidate, for the <laughs> to, to say the least, right? I had yeah. my own stuff going on. But then I remember getting in the room, and this dude had a military book, and he was, like, studying. Like, I remember him being, like, oh, we were, we, like this is the first time I've ever, like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be careful with my, my verbiage here, but I don't want to say I shared, I was in the same room. He was on a different bed. I was on one bed. Yeah. We're in the same room. And I remember thinking, like, do I take my socks off? Like, how comfortable do I get? Like, this is the first time I've ever slept with a, a man in the same room, right? That mm -hmm. I didn't know. And I remember him just having a military book. And he was like, I just kept hearing him say, be my little general. Be my little general. But he was studying, like, the Dude, general, like, brigadier, yeah, major, yeah, lieutenant. Yeah. And I was like, bro, what time is fucking breakfast? You know what I mean? Because like, my recruiter knew. When I didn't get them biscuits and grits. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't. I, yeah, I didn't yeah. come from the best situation. So, the cell for my recruiter was like, you get a bomb ass buffet in the morning. So I was like, shit, say less, baby. Let's do this. But yeah. Yeah. So then, nice. so then you, you, you get to maps, you take that picture with your family and then, uh, like you stay at night just for anybody who's never been in the military, you stay at night in the hotel, dirty Sanchez in for me, it was the Westin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Different decade. Thank yeah. God I didn't stay in the dirty Sanchez in cause I would have been traumatized. Yeah. So then you just, that's it. Right. Like that's for me, you know, for you, is that when it came real? Like when you were like that next morning, because then you eat your grub and they're like, get on this bus, like fucking leave it. Yeah. Well, I would say the most, the thing that resonates with me, and I, I think that a lot of the, the older vets that, that might know what this is, but um, the thing that resonates with me is the duck walk when they do the physical. Oh, so when you were at MEPS before yeah, you know the hotel. Yeah, they make you get naked yeah. and they do they do the duck walk. So I. I What's mean, the duck walk? Break it down for everybody. <laughs> 
So, I mean, you got to squat down and pretty much hop around the room. Fully nude. Fully nude. So the reason why it was resonates with me is because I got flat feet. So, so, so back you're in, a duck. Yeah, so I was legit a duck, right? So back in the day, though, this is the crazy part. So back in the day, if I was in like the '70s, Nam Desert Storm area, they would they wouldn't um they wouldn't let me join the military because so of I, the flat feet. Yeah, because of oh, the flat shit, feet. I didn't know that. But those same flat feet are what helped me get my disability. Now. Oh, so it all worked out. Oh, it worked out, boy. I'll tell you what. Came full circle. So you're over there squacking yeah. and squacking like a yeah, fucking... Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, why the fuck is it called a duck walk, you know? But, but yeah, you kind of look like a duck, but then you're, like, naked with a bunch of men in the room that you don't even know, and they're just making you, like, squat and jump around. And I'm like, damn, man. And everybody that, that went in in my era, they're like, oh, I remember the duck walk. So that, that resonates with me. I had, yeah. to, I had to do that, too. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, nice. I did. I did the dog walk pre because you were pre. Um, but did you get to wear boxers? No, nah, they butt, butt, <laughs> butt naked. naked bro. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you put your hands on your head. And yeah, then like, bro. Oh, and you gotta hop around. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's like just you do this little like. Fuck. Yeah. And then you gotta go left and right. Yeah. You know what, dude? That's why I love this because I never really had time to reflect on that until you said that. But yeah, dude, that created a lot of like, yo, this is fucking anxiety here, dude. Like, yeah. I've never. First of all, I've never been <laughs> naked in a group of men, and then number yeah. two, it was like. Yeah, like this is a very interesting predicament I'm in. And then, you know, shout out to the the greater or whoever saw it, but it was an older, for me, I don't want to speak for everybody's experience, but for me it was an older white man with like a clipboard and like a fucking bootleg MD like, yep. jacket on. Mm-hmm. He was like, all right, carry on. It's like, yeah, it's like, like, you're good. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, so you did your duck walk. Did you quack or no? Do you just? I, I might have quacked a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So you do yeah. that, yeah. You know that's traumatizing, man. I never really thought yeah, it's Think a very it, vulnerable position to yeah, be. Yeah, man, you're butt ass naked. I mean, <laughs> one thing they do do is they set the precedent, like, hey, you're joining something, you're gonna become a part of something where you lose a lot of control in your life. Yeah, you're bro. gonna do what we mm-hmm. say to do because this is a box check that we need. So yep. you do the duck walk, you're quacking around like a motherfucker, and then um, you you take pictures with your family, and then where? So then you just. To walk that through for everybody who didn't who's never been in the military because it's really fascinating like now reflecting back on it you, you talking about that i'm like damn that was a scary time like that's crazy so like you eat breakfast the next morning and then w- what was it like for you because you were pre uh 9-11 which is september 11 2001 i was post so our experiences may have been a little bit different number one i wasn't at the dirty sanchez inn you were <laughs> but uh um, yeah. what what was that like like what does that look like for a vet like me that i've I never seen that world Damn. Well, I mean, it felt like a medical lab where you were just, you know, like a a hamster, a mouse, you know, and then they're just observing you in there and they're making you go through this test and your recruiter, you know, and I'm not trying to put him on blast. So I won't say his name, but your recruiter is telling you do not show your deficiencies. And I remember that because at that time, you know, I had broke my wrist uh, when I was like in third grade. And he said, when you do push-ups, you know, you're going to have to put more weight on your right hand. And I was like, okay. And he's like, because you have to do a certain amount of push-ups when you do the duck walk, this and that. And I was like, okay, I, I didn't think about it until I was in there. And then, so it's almost like they're setting you up for failure. But if you think about it from a recruiter standpoint, I would want my recruit to be the best situated. Prepared, yeah. Best prepared. But... At the same time, now that 
I got my homie Eli that's like, you know, first sergeant for a recruiting company. He knows what the ins and outs are. So he would tell his recruiters or whatever, like, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. Because at that time, there was no war. So to get into the military, it wasn't like a given. That you they were they were telling you what can you show me that deserves that the that you deserve to be in our army. Gotcha. Yeah, completely different from my experience. Yeah. So so they they were like, what are you gonna show me that you need to be in our army because you're weak sauce that you rate that you're you're able to keep up. Right. So you right. pass the duck walk, you're quacking and squacking, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> and then and then. So you have your MOS picked out, which means that you have your job picked out. You sign yeah. your contract. Um, what's that like? You you hop on a bus or break that down for us? Yeah. So we hopped on a bus, hopped on a plane. I ended up going to Missouri, Fort Leonard Wood, or they called it Lost in the Woods. And then we go there for, for basic training. So for MPs, it was basic training and AIT was in the same plot, in the same place. Like OSA? Or so, yeah. Is that, is that what it was like one station unit training or no? Like yeah, it was all together. Oh, so, gotcha. so instead of doing basic at one place and then getting sent somewhere else, we would all do it at the same spot. So Missouri was all military police and engineers. Was that the first time you were on a plane? Uh, no. You have been on not, a plane before? Yeah, I know a lot. Of, I know. For I, a no, of, but it is. Yeah. But oh. I, but remember, bro, I mean, shit, that's going back, bro. But I went to school in Chile. Oh, shit. I went to school in Chile. My parents sent me there because my dad was broke and he couldn't afford to have me and my mom here. So he sent me to Chile. But yeah, that's a different story. But yeah. So then so, you, you got that experience before being on a plane by yourself. And all yeah. That. So I went to Chile. I went to, you know, Honduras when I was a kid. So I got, I kind of got the, the gist of like, and that that's back in the day when people could smoke on the plane. Old school. Old school, bro. So I was on the plane. People were smoking and shit. And I was like, hey, keep that smoke away from me. Mijo, blah blah, and I look back. I'm like, <laughs> you look at the seats now, and they still got the cigarette ashtrays on them. I realize, but, but no one uses them. with all those signs too. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. So, you hop on the plane. You're going to Missouri. That's a uh, uh, what 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 was that? Fort Leonard Wood. You said for yeah, Fort Leonard Wood. Yeah. And then you you hop off, and what's that experience like pre post nine eleven or pre nine eleven? Like for me, that's fascinating because you yeah. were wearing fucking camos and black boots and you shit. saw my pictures. Yeah, right? you saw I my did. pictures. Yeah. What was that like, bro? <laughs> uh, it's just it's just crazy because I didn't know what the military was like, right? I'm 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 used to receiving orders, doing my thing. Like I'm good at understanding what they want me to do, and I'll do it. But the first thing, you know, they take us to, to Missouri and it's like early as hell or whatever it is. We're, we're going in in the middle of the night and they're taking us to, to their central entry point to where they, they, they process us in, right? Where they do the things where they shave our heads. Um, they get our military ID. We go to get our bags or boots, all that stuff that happened in the middle of the night. Next day, you know, they're, they're trying to take us on the, on the, on the, um, on a bus that's going to take us to where our actually company's at. So it's so like a reception. It's a reception. Right. So the, yeah. So reception area, all that stuff. So they do all that. We take us there. And then I don't even know what's happening. I'm honestly in survival mode. So I, I, I cause I, I didn't have any guidance. I didn't have anybody to tell me that, Hey, this is what it's going to be like. I didn't have any guidance. So I'm in survival mode. You're going to just, you know, I was just like, Oh shit, I just got to get through this. So they were just yelling, whatever it is. I'm like, oh, okay, Roger that. I run up, you know, do whatever I got to do. Get off the, 
you know, I don't even know if they have them now, but back in the day they had cattle buses. Yeah. So we had cattle buses. We're all squeezed in there with all our backpacks and shit. Okay, we get out. So what's a cattle bus for everybody? Just so, <laughs> so they know, like it's literally a vehicle designed to to move herd cat, cattle, to yeah. move cattle. Yeah, <laughs> but we're in there packed like pigs uh, on a cattle bus, and then just everybody smells like dog shit because people didn't shower. Some people are scared. Um, looking back at it, I'm like, damn, man, we were tr- straight up treated like animals, you know, but the vietnam vets korean war vets the the you know those ogs are gonna be like nah man you're not you weren't treated like that you know but uh but that that's how it was coming from where i came from because i I was never treated that way so when i got there they were like you're doing this you're doing that and then the drill sergeant hops on the you know on the on the cattle bus and he's like okay you're gonna do this you're gonna do that you're gonna approach these yellow lines and you know line up dress front dress and we're like what the hell is dress front dress but we're thinking about what the recruiter told us and how they prepared us so yeah man that was it and then i just kind of went through the motions and just kind of did what i had to do to survive and get through that yeah that, that's interesting because that you know the, the the study the the work that i've done in my career is like that's when we, we start to build some you know we're, we become a little cynical because of the misinformation that we've received in in that recruitment process so for you, were you able to, because you said the buddy program with, 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 with top first sergeant Eli, shout out to you again, but did, were you able to do basic training with them or was that all bullshit too? No, I was not <laughs> he shook able his to head immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I was not able to do that with him. He was, uh, I still got that picture, bro, where he's got a full on uniform where he was like on that, uh, delayed entry program. And then, and we got recruited by the same, uh, drill sergeant or the same recruiter, but he still got the uniform. I'm in literally my kitchen and I'm like 18 and he's in his uniform so we're both in the kitchen together and i was like bro you remember this he's like dude that was when you were gonna join army you were gonna join the next month i was like yeah man that's a trip but there was no guidance or anything because his boot camp was different than mine because he went to boot camp for two months and then after that he went to ait oh so he went ahead of you you guys never went together which is which is a draw for the buddy program because they sell it as Hey, you're gonna go with your homeboy. Right, you're gonna go with bro. your buddy, your yeah. your boy. Yeah, but that's not what happened. Because <laughs> yeah. he was 88 kilo and I was in uh 95 Bravo at the time. So you yeah. guys were not even the same state. Hell nah. You yeah. guys you were so low. We, we didn't even yeah, we would only see each other during like the Christmas break. So, so yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So going into it, did you think like, hey, I'm gonna have my boy Eli here? Like it's all cool. We're gonna be going through this together. Or you knew right away, like, oh, I got okie doke. Okay, yeah, I kind of knew <laughs> that I was just gonna get that E2 rank real quick and then bone out because he was gonna go to Virginia and I was gonna go to Washington. So it wasn't gonna happen. So, so yeah. what was basic training like? Getting yelled at by by dudes and older men and sleeping in bays and what what was your experience like? <sighs> I would say the first time, the thing that stands out the most is um, we had, you know, the first time that anything ever popped up was two privates fighting. And that, that, that kind of resonates with me because I use it in the peer support class that we teach. And um, there was a, a, a private Pigford and then another guy. And he was like, they got in a fight in the bays, right? And it's always, you want to avoid the fights because, you know, drill sergeants are going to come and um, start messing up everything. So um, the first thing that was, there was a fight and 
They started fighting. It was literally Pigford, African-American gentleman, white guy. And uh, they, you know, once we get down to breaking them up and everything, we're like, oh, man, you guys need to break this up because the drill sergeants are going to come up. It was in the middle of the night. And uh, we come back and we start talking to him. And I talked to Pigford and I was like, hey, you know, or, or, or my bad. I didn't talk to Pigford. Pigford was the African-American gentleman. I talked to the other guy. And I said, hey, man, what the hell happened? Like, what did you ask him? Or what the hell happened to create this argument? And he said, um, which, which was shocking to me. He said, all I did was ask him. How did he get so dark? And then I said, dude, how are you going to ask him that? Like, he's African-American, bro. He's like a black guy. How are you going to ask him, how did he get so dark? And he said, I've only seen black people on TV. I've never seen black people in real life. So I saw this as an opportunity to ask him because I thought he was cool, you know? And I said, dude, but you <laughs> that's like fucking really racist. You can't be doing that shit. And then he said, but I didn't know. I'm, I'm innocent. I said, where were you born, man? I mean, were you under like a rock or a cave? And he said, I'm like in the backwoods, Athens, Georgia. And I've never seen a black person in real life. Now, that resonates with me now because I use that in a lot of my classes. I do that story because it, co it comes down to cultural competency about we have to learn what other cultures are about because just not just because we don't know what the culture is, this gentleman could have not meant to insult him, but he did. And uh, that story resonates with me because of the fact that, I mean, technically anybody else would hear that and say, damn, that dude's racist, but he was being innocent. He's never met a black person, ever. One of my favorite things that you say, bro, like that's where the magic, where it gets broken down and it gets put in your face that you've never seen someone like this before, but you're going to learn to deal with them. You're going to learn to manage them. You're going to learn to be led by them. You're going to manage to work with them. You're going to manage to be living with them. It's really magical shit that happens in the military in that mm -hmm. aspect with race and, you know, lack of understanding or and all that shit. So was that like a, a, a bright light for you where you were like, fuck, like, this is pretty interesting. Like, did, did you start to have those thoughts? Oh uh, yeah. I was like, man, like how, how is that possible? You know, I'm coming from California. I know, you know, there's black people. I mean, we're, we're all a melting pot. So, but this guy in Georgia, I mean, he went to school with all white people, graduate white people. And it's like, damn, like, how can I blame him for being the way he is? He's just asking a question. You know, so that taught, that taught me like, wow. And that's at a young age, you know, I was 18. And I was like, but I'm looking at him like, how, how is that possible? You've never seen a black person. And he's like, I never have literally 18 years of my life. I've never seen a black person in real life. I've seen him on TV. I've seen Michael Jordan, whatever. I've never seen a black person. So the first time I get a chance to see one, I'm going to ask him questions. And I'm like, damn, okay. Well, if you explain it that way to this dude, he might have not flipped out on you. You know, <laughs> but at that time he was like, "What's up?" What yeah, exactly. Man? He's like, "What do you mean you're asking me how dark I am and shit?" Yeah, so that's that, crazy. That's your first crazy. experience in that. That was yeah, that was my first experience, man. I always talk about that in the peer support class because that, that comes down to cultural competency because you don't know where people are from and you shouldn't judge them for where they're from or how they got there or you know 
any of that stuff you you know the whole thing about judging people from the book from uh what the the don't judge a book by its cover same thing with um i always think about that and i always think about outcast you know the group outcast where one of the dudes said um it's not how much money you make it's how you make it Mm -hmm. right so if you make it honorably then then it's going to come back to you in an honorable fashion if you if, if you're like a drug dealer and you make hella money it's it's not gonna it, life will 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 make sure that you get your repercussions so i always think about that and it's like i think about that i think about like your your culture your life everything man that's pretty fascinating man it's that's probably one of the the, the most interesting parts about having that experience is being um being put in the face of of this especially at a younger age right 18 years old you're, you're still learning about yourself as a man as a as a leader as a human so that's interesting so you you finish up training um obviously you you pass the training and shit you did some sit-ups push-ups you ran a little bit and then uh shot things and all that but this is pre-war so all your drill sergeants and everybody's are non-combat vets right that drill sergeant yeah uh, I had two, two, two drill sergeants that had combat patches. Oh shit! And they were Somalia. Oh, yeah, interesting. Two of, them, two of them, yeah. But they weren't in like Iraq or any of that stuff. Yeah. So then you graduate. What? What? What do you graduate? Like late two thousands? No, I mean uh, from boot camp. Yeah. No, no. I mean I went in. Yeah, uh, two thousand. Yeah, I graduated in two thousand, and then. I, and you know, I finished my time in 2005. So, yeah. so you get out of training, and then where's your first duty station? Where do you get stationed at? Where do you get thrown into? Uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. Damn. For, and by this time, shits, we're in 2001, or we're still in 2000? 2000. Yeah. Oh, so no wars, cock. Nothing, dude. But this is the crazy <laughs> part is that I Y'all got, got goatees and shit, sideburns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but 2000. And then I get uh, stationed in... Uh, in, in Fort Lewis, but this is the funny part is that the shit's going off in Kosovo. So I get, I literally get deployed to Kosovo in 2000, and then 2001 happens with 9 11, but our unit is already getting ready to get deployed to Kosovo. To Kosovo. So in our battalion, there's three, three companies. One of the companies ends up going to uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, but we're already in Kosovo. So when we came back from Kosovo, then we, they send us back to go to the Pentagon for the, um, the hole that's in the Pentagon from the airplane crashing into it. No shit. Yeah. So they, they well, we're in Kosovo. We're getting training for it. They're like, oh, you guys got to go back. So we come back, and then they send, well, they send us back to uh, D.C. To, to do the uh, force protection. Oh, for, I didn't know Pentagon. that. What, yeah. what was that like, bro? Like, did, were you, like, how, what, because... This is what's magical, right? Is like you, you're seeing. So, did you see that in Kosovo on the news? Were you guys, were the, were the boys talking about it? Were you guys being like, oh shit, shit just cracked off? Or no, not? we are actually training in Fort, we're in Louisiana. So, Fort Polk. Fort Polk. Yeah, Fort Polk. And we're about to go to Kosovo, deploy literally like in a couple of weeks. And then they took us, um, they took us from that. We were doing training. And then next thing you know, they're like, okay, real world, real world. And we're in training. And then next thing you know, um, they, we're like, okay, training stops. We go to the TVs or whatever. 
and we see the the, the twin towers by the train the the planes crashing everybody's like oh crap we've come out of the the woodworks and all that stuff and then um th we're like is this really happening or is this part of the training and they're like no this is really happening so we're like oh shit so after that this is kosovo because we, our training was part of that so once they sent us to kosovo we were only there for what six seven months and they sent us back to do force protection at, oh, the, at the pentagon that's that's what i'm so interested in like what what was the mood like were the boys talking like fuck dude we're going to war or was it not there yet mentally or like nah i wasn't there man that's what i was, it was trip there. on nah, you know? it wasn't there yet because we're like ah, oh, okay they crashed into the fucking two towers like it's not because nobody deal. really knew what the hell was going on right no one knew what was happening so man. you guys were just like oh shit some shit cracked off in the united states like right we didn't know it was like a terrorist attack we just thought it was like you know honestly like a lot of people were like oh shit like was the the driver of the plane drunk or yeah you know like what well, well, what happened like why did they crash into it yeah yeah and just to put it into context not trying to you know not trying to give you a shot but i was in middle school when that shit cracked off i was getting oh, ready to damn go, i'm yeah. old as fuck <laughs> that's what i was old, trying to bro. say i was getting ready to go to like eighth grade and shit miss perez or somebody and i was like man i didn't do an assignment hopefully they delay it because of this natural disaster but it was not natural so then when you guys go back, you guys, they fly you back. Like, hey, this is real world operation. Everybody fucking turn, you know, we're, we're flying back. Were you guys still shook? Like, were you shook at that point? Or were you like, nah, this is part of the fucking game? No, we didn't know what, what to expect. We didn't know how serious it was, to be honest. And then they, they, they took us back. I was, um, I was an E4. So I was E4 and they brought us back and then they said, just go, you know, you're going to go to the Pentagon because the plane crashed into it. You're going to provide force protection for generals and all these other people going into the Pentagon. So we were literally on that freeway that's outside of, um, we stayed at whatever that base was. That's, uh, I can't even think of it. I don't know if it was called Fort Meade, but it was outside of Arlington Cemetery. We stayed there, and then we provided force protection outside of the freeway, outside of the Pentagon. So we no were out shit. there. I never knew with, that. With fifty cows and fucking on Humvees. the freeway. On the freeway, bro, it was pretty crazy. Because like, the United States didn't know what was going down. Nah, man. bro. So like, we were out there with fifty cows, everything, bro. Mark nineteens, like we were ready to throw down. I mean, we we're in there. I, I forgot what it was called. The I think it was called the Potomac, the, the the whatever the river that was that was there. We we're right there along the river and then we we're just chilling on the on the dc man they sent us there for seven months while they were rebuilding the hole that was messed up no way yeah and then at that point did you guys know like okay because then the news started to pick up hey this is what happened yeah. what was that like yeah and that's when they said that this is what happened and then one of the units from our battalion left so um oh they left to iraq they left to iraq so there was three units that were there so you know in our battalion one of them ended up leaving and then we were starting to think like damn we're next you know so after we did that for seven months they literally pushed us back to um washington state i think we were there for maybe three months and then they, we got the orders to go to go to iraq damn so yeah. you guys were in the fuck dude yeah so i was deployed the whole time i mean that's what i was about thinking that, i joined in 2000 i was deployed the whole time man i was in kosovo for what nine months DC in seven, seven months, and then uh, Iraq in 13 months. So when, when you guys got orders for Iraq, did you know? Did you know what you were getting, like, reflecting back on it now? Were you like, oh, shit, we're going to war? Or was it like, dude, we're just going to the next fucking duty station? Shit. 
I mean, it, it was like war because people were telling, you know, we saw the stuff that was going on in the news, but I think I look back at it and when people say like, oh, you know, why, why did you serve and why did you go to combat? So this is another thing that came up for me specifically because I was the only child. So there's only three people in my family that carry my last name. And it's me and my cousin Kenneth and my cousin um, uh, Hector. Right, we all have the same last name, but there's only three males in my family. So one of them's in jail. The other one, he's kind of young. He might, he has been in jail a couple times. But then, <laughs> but then it's me, right? So, so then the military, shout out to Kenneth and Hector out there getting commissary. Yeah, yeah no, they're cool. They're cool. They just got illegal gunfire, but it's all good. But, uh, but yeah. So, so one of them was in jail at the time. So they asked me. They're like, okay. If you if you decide to go, you have to sign this waiver because if you die, we don't need your <laughs> we don't want your family to sue us because oh, you're the only child shit. with your last name. And I was like, oh shit. So at that time I talked to Baker about it and he was like, Fuck yeah, like, you know, why why would you care? And I was like, I, I mean, I don't care. I'll sign this shit. And he was like, Well, it, it's not like you're um he related it to that movie, remember the 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 Forrest Gump or not the Forrest Gump, but the the movie with that actor in it. That where they uh, Save a Prime Ryan. Okay. Where they had to do the brothers and right, they kept right. so <clears throat> they had those rules still in place because of the only child that carried the last name. I was like, yeah, I don't care. I'll fucking sign the waiver or whatever because I wasn't thinking at the time that that this was that serious. I wasn't thinking I was gonna die, you know. So I was like, yeah, sure, I signed the waiver or whatever. They're like, okay, cool. So your parents can't sue us if you die because Fuck. they sent us over there. But I didn't think of that as like a heroic act or like, oh, I'm going over there to provide, you know, be supportive for my country. It was more like I was going there for my boys because if I didn't sign that, I didn't get to go with them. So I had to do what I had to do. You but, signed that waiver and then you 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 just hopped on the flight with the boys. Yeah, and, but I didn't I didn't know the importance of it at that. God, like looking geez. back, I'm like, damn, dude, that was pretty fucking. Stupid. So you had an option though, then it's boy looking yeah, back to, at it to, to be rare D. I could have stayed ba back with the rear detachment. I could have. Oh, that's yeah. real. But life I, I didn't know because I was young, bro. I was what 23. Nobody yeah. broke it down to you like the yeah. importance. Of it. They're like, hey, yeah. sign this or not. Yeah, and my, like, squad, my, my team leader, my squad leader, bro. He was like, nah, if you don't sign this shit, you ain't going. I was like, oh fuck, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's all he said. And and I was like, okay, I'll go. And what's crazy yeah. is like that's what I always trip on is like reflecting back. That dude, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn if I'm maybe wrong, but he was probably like a 22, 23 year old cat that had no clue either what the fuck the importance <laughs> of that was. He was like, "Hey, bro, if you don't sign this, you're not going with the boys." Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, what do you yeah. want to do? You know? So then you get orders to deploy to Iraq. You guys flew, got right into Iraq or Kuwait. How, how did that whole deployment break down? Yeah, the, um, yeah, that was it. And then, I mean, we went to. Um, we're at Fort Lewis, so we're right next to the Air Force Base. And then we just set up there, you know, we stay at the Air Force Base. And then they sent us to Kuwait. And then from Kuwait, we had um, we had our trucks that were delivered, our Humvees. And then that was it, man. I mean, the, the, I guess the only thing that honestly I could say that I was prideful of is that uh, our truck, our, our, our team truck, which is, you know, me and my boy Baker and then the driver, um, we were the first truck in from our company from Damn. into Iraq. So you were point we drove, vehicle. Yeah, we were point vehicle. We drove from Kuwait all the way into Iraq, and we were the first vehicle. 
So I'm proud of that. I mean, I don't got no awards, but I'm telling you, I'm proud of that. Because <laughs> we were scared as hell, boy. What's that what? like, bro? So you were you were you were driver, or you were too. you were dismount. Where were you at on the vehicle? Oh, I was TC because I, I, at that time I was a sergeant. Oh, yeah. you already had E5. Yeah. So you were running that. You were running the. You were running the vehicle. You were running the Vic. Yeah. So yeah. You, you had a gunner. You had two dismount and a driver. No, I just had the driver and then the gunner, and that's it. And then my gunner was Baker, dude. Yeah, that dude was, like, legit. On, on 50, 50 cal? cal? Dude, oh, that dude shit. could fucking murder some shit. So, so. lead vehicle at yeah, the Yeah, so that's why they picked us. The first sergeant said, hey, dude, you guys are the most experienced squad, the most experienced team, and you guys are going to lead this shit in there. Nobody yeah. thinks about the ramifications of that. So how old were you? <laughs> Probably, what, 23? 23-year-old. And I'm leading other... In, <laughs> essentially yeah. right for people yeah. that don't understand the culture essentially in charge of an individual when you say fire not fire with a 50 cal fucking weapon and then a driver being like yo push forward stop you know of course you know we take all all, all commands from the tower but what do you what do you think about when you think about that time what was going through your mind like what 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 what, what how does that feel you know what I'm, you know, that's very rare to be in that situation. Like, are you having fluid thoughts of like, hey, this is real? Or is it just like mission, focus, fucking, this is the next destination. This is the next checkpoint. Like, what's going through your mind at that time, genuinely? Yeah. What's going through your mind? Oh, okay. Well, um, I feel like, um, I mean, at that time, I'm thinking like, I just need to survive. So, so I'm... I'm doing whatever I have to do, right? Read, map reading. I'm in the middle of the night. So we're not using the computers that are <laughs> in the Humvee. I'm trying to map read. I'm using that red lens on the old school. Um, remember the old school L-shaped <laughs> thing? The L-shaped uh, yeah, flashlight. flashlight, right? I'm using that shit. I'm trying to read the map. I'm like, okay, cool. So given what i said before i'm super proud of being selected as the first vehicle i didn't end up that way because because <laughs> i fucked up a couple times and the first sergeant literally grabbed me he almost choked me bro he's like you literally can get us killed i'm taking the lead <laughs> this was after i would say like three hours of traveling to uh to iraq i fucked up and made a, a wrong, the wrong turn or what i made a wrong turn i mean we're in the middle of the night i'm highly stressed out I, I'm justifying it now, but back then I was like, God, I'm a piece of shit. Like, how do I not fucking know how to read these maps? I let the first sergeant down, but he took lead and he was like, don't worry about it. And then, um, and then I talked to him afterwards and then he, he even told me after, I mean, he's already out of the army. So he told me after he's like, man, I look back and he's like, I feel like a jerk because of how much pressure I put on you. Because like, he's like, think about it, man. You know, like you were saying, I was 23. You know, Baker was 24. Our driver was, what, 19? You know, and, and I'm guiding them to, to get to, like, we're, we're, I mean, we're kids, you know, I'm, and I'm trying to guide them into going into Iraq. We're the first vehicle in. Everybody's nervous. Everybody's got trigger, you know, trigger happy because we don't know what's going to happen, you know, if we're going to die or not, get blown up by an ID or whatever. So it's, it's just crazy, you know. That's extremely crazy. And then we're going to take a little break right here and we're going to continue it. It has been the longest delayed podcast in the history of my life. Um, multiple phone calls, multiple issues, but we're back at it. Um, nothing's going to stop the message. Nothing's going to stop the testimony today because it's powerful and it's needed. 
So where we left that, where we left off was that uh, you got lost, man. You 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 were the lead vehicle of your convoy. Your first arm was like, dude, you fucking took multiple U turns. You you turned off to to fucking Carl's Jr. parking lot twice. <laughs> like you're fucking up the convoy. So where did where did we go from there? Oh man. All right. So I uh, I did not take multiple U turns or go to Carl's Jr. But um yeah i just fucked up one time i first turned uh tripped out he picked us to lead the convoy because my gunner was one of the most experienced gunners that i had and then um uh i was a young sergeant at the time had a good driver even though he's young and then i just messed up at one time but at that you know he had already been in somalia so he was uh <laughs> hyper vigilant and then he was like all right i'm gonna take the lead and then that, that's pretty much it and then we we, we were halfway to, to iraq from kuwait when he took over yeah fuck what was that like so where do you fall at in the rotation like where, where are you at after that uh well i mean our our unit was we had 160 uh soldiers in our unit so um there was about what i would say i don't know bro like 40 vehicles in the convoy and then so he told me to fall back to the last vehicle so he said just 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 take the rear because if any shit goes down like I'll, I'll i'll rely on you to be in the rear so that's what happened to be honest so then you picked up the rear and then you guys pushed through kuwait make yeah. that commute and then what was it like you 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 pulled up where does that go from there oh we went to babylon so we ended up in Babylon, Camp Babylon, and then we were in Babylon, and from there, our unit got dis, uh, dispersed to different units. So we went to, um, what is it, 1st Armored Division, 1st uh, Old Ironsides, that's where our platoon went. and then Classic our, division right there, OG dude, division. That's the OG division, man. That's the, that's the combat patch I wear on my uh, Class A's and all that shit. It's an OG division, and then uh, one of our other units went to Special Forces. One of our other units got dispersed to, I think it was a Ranger Battalion. Um, so we all, all of our platoons got separated, basically, once we were at Camp Babylon. And then you get to Babylon. What's that like? You pull up. What's the living conditions like? It was um, basically like little trailers. And then, so my roommate was JD, man, the guy that, that married me and my wife. Now so, a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now a pastor. But, uh, yeah, so he was my roommate. And then, uh, yeah, man, we went on a couple missions. Um, luckily, I mean, to kind of summarize it, every, you know, everything that happened, it was like we were there for 13 months. And out of the 13 months, only, uh, I, I say only, but which is kind of sad, but only four of the people out of the 160 died. So um, that's actually not bad. The unfortunate part is that out of the, the the four that died, I would say, you know, I was close to three of them. So it's kind of, it's kind of bums me out to, to look back at that. And I don't want to pass over. I don't want to like uh, gloss over the fact that JD, JD is a legend. I met him personally, man. He's a cool ass cat, man motherfucker from the from the up north cool the bay dude, area the bay area the cool, yay area the yay area cool <laughs> calm and collective smooth uh i was gonna say motherfucker but i don't want to make it that sound disrespectful but he's a he's a very stand-up dude um 
very very cool person man you get, you talk to him you get to chop it up with him that's an honor that's a privilege that i hold dear to my heart um and yeah he's a, he's a, he's a cool cool cat man he's a he's a very well respected individual so like you 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 get there i know we kind of we, we jumped over the cats that you lost but like what what was your automatic like what was your mission what was the 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 get down like what was that like you guys get settled you pull up you park fucking get in your your area like what what was the mission was it route clearance like patrols what was that like yeah it was mainly like patrols um doing just uh a forward recon so we would run the uh the normal trails that people would go on and then uh do like ammunition delivery um was it called msr like patrol basically msr um uh clearance where we would check if other vehicles were there if, uh other uh ieds stuff like that and then um just doing kind of uh any kind of missions that were asked from us so when we were um, in iraq i guess the, the the first time that i experienced any type of like trauma or anything it was always like the mortar attacks which became complacent right like mortar attacks hit the base we're like oh shit, we gotta wake up run to the bunker the next thing you know, we're like, we're just wearing like PJs, you know, blah, blah. The first time it's like Kevlar full battle rattle or running out to the, to the bunkers. And then after a couple months, we're like, oh man, these mortars are just hitting all kinds of places. Like it ain't shit. And we just go and, and do our thing. But I, I guess that was the, that w didn't really hurt me or hit me. But the first time that it hit me was um, when we first got ambushed and that was on April 5th in in uh 2004 so that that's when uh my boy jd my squad leader and and their gunner got fucked up by rpg and then so, yeah. yeah that's fucking bananas yeah in its own right and then just to create context msr is uh i think it's what main supply route like that's yeah. where all the the traffic comes into when you're, when you're in country that's where they do deliveries and Thinking of it here in a, in a social world is like that's where FedEx and UPS and everybody cruises down the street and drops shit off. And that, that's what you guys were responsible for keeping clear and clean and fucking that route yeah. accessible. Yeah. So that's the main supply route. Yeah. So April what, what was the date? April 5th. April 5th. And, and what, what happened that day? No. So, I mean, I felt guilty to this day because once again, I was lead vehicle because my gunner was the shit, man. Baker... Um, I always remember him to this day, uh, you know, he's, he's long gone. He passed away, but, but, uh, he was like the, the best gunner we had for 50 cows and Mark 19s. Um, so, um, so we had, we were the lead vehicle going into like, a I guess they, they used to call it a swivel where we would go in through like a, where they had barricades for Iraqi police. They, they call it IPs. And then, uh, I thought that we were going through a regular IP checkpoint, but it wasn't an IP checkpoint. It was actually um, Mahdi Army that were dressed up as IPs. They oh, basically shit. killed the fucking IPs, took their uniforms, and then they dressed up as them. And then they made us go through the checkpoint. But the, the problem with that is that when they made us go through it, that was their ambush point. So when we went through it, I should have caught that. Like I always tell Sergeant P, my squad leader, and JD, I always tell them, like, dude, it's my my fault. You guys got fucked up. I should have caught that. And they're like, how would you know? Like they were just dressed up as 
you know, Iraqi police, like, how would you know that? And I'm like, yeah, but I should have been better. I should have done this. I should have done that. So it still affects me to this day. And they tell me like, nah, man, it, it is what it is. But I mean, they got purple hearts cause they got fucked up those, um, during that ambush. So, um, yeah, we went through the ambush. We we're delivering ammunition to second platoon who had just gone through an ambush the day before. So they needed to reload on a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, man. So basically to this day, I still feel kind of guilty about that, but they tell me to not feel guilty about it. But yeah, I feel guilty. And JD was a squad leader in one of the vehicles? No, he was a team leader. So yeah, so he got fucked up. His 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 uh his uh Humvee got hit with an RPG and then it just happened to have Sergeant P in it. So um they were both, you know, all fucked up, all bleeding and then Gunner got messed up in the leg, got shrapnel. So, yeah, they all got purple hearts, man. And RPG is rocket propelled grenade. Yeah. Somebody fucking shooting a big ass fucking rocket at at that truck and it hit it and then it fucking blew it up. Yeah. So all the shrapnel just it hit the truck and then it just spread all throughout the vehicle. So it just literally like literally like shred everybody in there. So it was the gunner, JD, Sergeant P, everybody got shredded. So they're all like. They just had shrapnel on their faces, their arms, their legs, their body. I mean, everywhere. And shrapnel are pieces of the vehicle or pieces of the rocket pernel grenade that broke off. And like pieces of metal, essentially, that fucking broke loose and then went in their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bro. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's tough, man. Because even when they were going, I remember when we were coming back, man, they went through the uh, the checkpoint at the airport and the the... the the, the metal detector was going off and they told him they're like dude I, I mean you could literally strip me naked i just got a bunch of metal in my body like just because i was hit with that shit and uh so sergeant p and fucking jd their, their um their metal was like really high count and then the worst part was is that they told sergeant p like eventually because of the the scar tissue that's going to build around the the metal that you got in your in your right eye cheek you're going to be blind probably around 60 and on the right eye and that shit just bothered me man because i mean he's a good guy man he was there at my wedding he's been there you know my squad leader just to know that he's going to be blind at the right eye like he has no options you know because it either either he's going to have to suck it up or they're going to have to do surgery which can leave him blind anyways why, why do you take that as your fault, like digging deep into that? Like, I know you say, you kind of gloss over that in true veteran status where you're like, hey, I, I think it's my fault, but they say it's not, like, so I'm cool. But, like, what does that really feel like? It sucks because it didn't happen to me, you know? So I feel like I, I was a lead vehicle. I should have caught that. But, I mean, they say there's, there's no way for me to have caught that, but to caught that they were fake um iraqi police but that shit bothers me like to this day because i always apologize for it. every time i get emotional with them i mean i did it for my own wedding i was outside talking to them at a bench and i was like hey man i just want to apologize They're like dude beanie like you're fucking getting married tomorrow like why are you tripping on that shit i'm like bro because every time i see you guys I, I i see that day i see you like drenched in blood and, and and that shit like bothers me right and they're like oh but we're good bro we're here we're here to support you you're about to get married like don't even trip on that shit i'm like dude that's all i see i mean i recovered their uniforms i remember like 
everything, bro. I recovered their uniforms all full of blood. I, I everything I, I I could get from their vehicle, I recovered it, and they have it in a placard. JD does and Sergeant P does in their in their house to remind them of that shit. And I've recovered that for them because it's significant, you know. But it bothers me because it it to them it's like, oh, I'm proud. I got a purple heart. I survived that shit. But for me, it's like. I did that shit because I should have caught him. So you, you were know? the lead vehicle. You you roll Into up the ambush. Yeah. You roll up that day. What do you see? What do you remember? What what caused you to say like, hey, it's clear point. Let's cruise through. Well, it wasn't clear. It was just more of um, just the, the the people that dressed like Iraqi police. I thought they were Iraqi police. So we were going through the 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 barricades. You know the the we were going through um, shit. I don't know what what they call it but i mean now i can't think of it but um you know where we would go through the burn barrels where um god i can't think of the name right now but anyways the iraqi police were the ones that were controlling those checkpoints so i thought it was clear so we went through that point and then once we went through it, it was almost like a like a target point for all the 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 Mahdi army that was there and then they started you know shooting uh, AK-47s, RPGs. I mean, that's like the worst shit because that's when shit went down. We were, you know, shooting back and everything that went down, but then they're the ones that got hit. And then JD was like, even if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be alive right now. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, dude, because you let, you literally like crashed into cars. You literally like killed a bunch of dudes just to let me go through but I'm like, but in my head, I'm thinking, but if I didn't fuck up in the first place, you would have never been there. Like, that's what I think about. Like, you would have never had to gone through that. But JD always remembers what I did after the fact. And then I think like, dude, but after that, it doesn't matter. Like, you're already fucked up. You're already, you know, you're driving, you're all full of blood, you're all fucked up. So that's what I think about. But for him, he's like, dude, I'm glad I made it out because you, you held my, my back. You had my back. Was it like HESCO barriers? Is that what you were? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that, but it was more like, um, it, it. I don't know what they called it, but it was the one the, the, the one where you had to go through the, the, the barriers that were full of sand, and then you had to go through there, so they called it an IP checkpoint. But the, the problem was is that the Mahdi Army had either killed the IPs or, you know, basically threatened them to give them the uniform. So it was Mahdi Army that were there, so when I checked in through the checkpoint, I was like, oh, we're good. Like everything goes, goes through. So we just went through the, through the, uh, the barricades and then we were coming out the other end and boom, they just started hitting us. Well, while you guys were in the middle of the, the swivel. Yeah, bro. So they fucking got us sick. What, yeah. is, what is that like, man? I've never experienced that. So like, what is that like? You're in the barrier, you start taking small arm fire, big fire. What's that like? What's going through your mind as the TC? And for T for people that don't understand, TC is like the passenger of the vehicle, but you're pretty much the truck commander or the tank commander, and you're calling the shots. You're keeping everybody like push through, stop, fucking shoot. W what's going through your mind as a young ass buck, fucking E five? Damn, bro, I was twenty three, man. Now looking back, I'm in like it's crazy, but uh it was it was crazy because of the fact that. You know, like, it looks like the movies. It looks like the movies. Like, it looks just like the movies, but you don't realize that you're in the movie. So you start seeing, like, bullets flying, people running across the roads with AKs. 
So then you start seeing the the vehicle and then you're like, oh shit, like we're actually able to take the small arm fire and we're not getting hit. So I'm like sitting in the vehicle and reality hasn't hit yet that we're actually getting shot at by people, but it's not hitting me. Like nothing, nothing, I'm, I'm cool, I'm inside. So things like that happen. But then when I look to my right, dude, I saw another Humvee next to me with a flat tire and I just see JD going like this, like, bro, I'm done like that. And I just see blood just gushing from his face. And I was like, fuck that. I was like, I just pushed him forward. And I just said, I'm going I'm to take the rear. I was like, just push him forward. And then I took the rear and then my driver was freaking out. And he's like, what do I do? What do I do? And I said, just close your eyes and push the gas pedal. And he literally ran over an Iraqi dude. He literally killed him right, right in front of us. And then I look back and I'm like, I talked to him on, on, on Facebook this is a couple of years ago. And he said, I still think about that dude that I killed because I know I killed him. And I was like, damn, man. I said, he's like that, that face always shows up in my nightmares. And I'm like, damn, really? I was like, I thought I told you to close your eyes, bro. <laughs> and then he was like, I tried to close my eyes. <laughs> I tried to close my eyes, but I'm like, I, I was literally grabbing the steering wheel and I closed my eyes. And I just punched the gas like you told me, sorry. And I was like, Roger that. That's what you're supposed to do. Yo, and I know we laugh, yeah. and that's not in an intention to disrespect anybody. Yeah. That's an intention of way for us to cope and get through these situations. Big time, bro. And they use humor big time to it, cope it, with this. It's crazy, shit. right? Because yeah. I think law enforcement or EMT or firefighters, they can kind of relate to that because they say, hey, this is the the reality of life. Like sometimes we have to go through this shit with smiles and laughter to get through certain situations. So I just want to say that as like a disclaimer that we're not disrespecting anybody loss of life because that shit's serious for on on everybody's side, right? Yeah. In their eyes, in that individual's eyes, it was, that was a serious moment. They have family members, they have kids, they have wives, they have husbands, they have partners. But it was the reality of that situation, and, and for a lot of. I'm not going to say us because I didn't even go through that. But people like you, the, the coping mechanism is through like, I told you to close your eyes, motherfucker. So you didn't see that, you know, and like, right. That's the, that's the tricky. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, the only people that know about this story it, are the people that were involved. Like, I, it's not like I share this shit exactly. all the time, you know, like it's just JD. Sergeant P. If I talked to Henry, Henrickson was my driver. Uh, we used to call him Henry. So his his first name was Eric, and then um, yeah, man. But he was freaked out, man, because he he says to this day I can still see like the image of the guy running across the road with the AK, and just me like he said it, it almost felt like a tree trunk, like him running over a tree. That's all he said. Like like you know like the person was just standing there, and he just just boom just hit him and then just kept going and i was like damn man like i didn't realize that because i'm tc i'm just telling him what to do he's actually the one putting the gas pedal gotcha. and then driving over that dude you know so i'm like fuck dude that that must be rough and then you know you got baker up there with a nine mil 50 cal so he doesn't get shot i mean it is yeah it's crazy man. all bad man and yeah sarm p henry anybody we'd love to get the if that's something that's you know that that the space is needed as a space to process this or discuss this. We would love to have you here as well. But so then you, you, you see JD and he's telling you like, Hey, I'm fucked up. This is no bueno. And you're trying to push through, push through. So how do you guys get out of that situation? Like, how does that work? Like, cause it seems like a fucking nightmare, like listening yeah. to it. 
Uh, well, there was only four vehicles in the convoy. So the LT, the Lieutenant, Lieutenant Mott, we used to call him Mott's applesauce. He, <laughs> he took lead and then he basically got us out of there. And then, um, and I took rear, but I remember, and this is funny, bro. Cause if you, if you interview JD or, uh, Sergeant P, um, they might tell the story differently, which is kind of crazy. Like we we're all trauma. Innocent. Trauma does that, right? Yeah. Trauma does that. So, so, um, so for me, it's like super guilty, right? I felt guilty. Like, fuck dude. I got these guys fucked up. It was my fault. I was the lead vehicle. I should have caught that shit. And I, it, it, it still gets me until today. But for them, they're like, well, shit. I mean, if you didn't do what you did, we wouldn't get out that bitch. And I'm like, but that doesn't matter because if I did the right thing, you wouldn't be in that bitch in the first place. Like, that's the way I'm viewing it. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, dude, I, I still remember like everything, bro. Every, everything to the T when I remember we got to the base and we got to, uh, a, a, it was, it was funny because it was second platoon where they were at and it was all Latinos. It was, uh, uh, Salvadorian, Salvadorian army. And then Sergeant P's fucking bleeding out of his face. And then he, uh, they're like, oh, we don't understand what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, hold up. So I run up there and I start talking Spanish. That's where the Spanish kicked in. It was great because I was like, okay, he needs this. He needs that, blah, blah, blah. So my, my, my Spanish actually helped out to help them like survive in that moment. And then that's what they're grateful for because I knew Spanish and I could translate and I could do everything. So it's like kind of weird how like everything kind of worked out, you know, like from childhood until the military because that shit fucking that shit could have like saving some some of my friends you know that the fact that i knew spanish and i could translate and do everything because I, when i was a child when i was five i was translating for my parents i was doing it because i had to but oh. then in the army i had to do it because i had to for my buddies you know it's it's kind of crazy bro it's like crazy how life just just bring like full circle you know yeah that that is a trip it, it was almost like a detriment then and then now it's like a value added. You yeah. save lives. Yeah, bro. I, I'll I'll take learning English on Sesame Street all day if I <laughs> if I could save my buddy's lives. Oh, Dracula. Exactly. That's crazy, <laughs> man. That's scary. And I know we I know we're breezing over this like it ain't no thing, but like I I, I want to ask you a question. And and you know I've known you for many years, but hearing this from you is maybe the first time in in, in deep fucking detail like this right and i have a great deal of respect for you i have a great deal of love for you always but it's interesting how you know this platform allows us to kind of go dig a little deeper because of the context of it and because of the way that it's delivered and the method of it but my question for you is um before we get to the next step like do you still hold that guilt like understanding like what you know now and what you know about the situation. Like, did you really in your heart feel like you fucking could have done anything different? Like genuinely in your soul, like really, really looking deep into it. I mean, the only way that I, I, I can't is just because of JD and, and, uh, Sergeant P just giving me the, the green light because otherwise I would be, you know, like fucked up but i know they're just saying that but at the same time jd is like i'm not just saying that 
I'm yeah. saying that. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm not just saying that for you to feel better. But at the same time, bro, I feel guilty. And it's that it's that survivor's guilt, man. I mean, yeah, that shit's the fact, real. Yeah, the shit that we got. I mean, we got fucked up. They got fucked up. And I think about the time that we got hit with the IED, same thing, right? That caused Baker's mentality to change. That led to eventually him, you know, dying and stuff. That all that stuff, we were in the IED together. We all got blown up together. So it's like, how do I, I can't blame myself for everything because it wasn't, it was out of my control. Like we were all there, but I try to rationalize it just to be able to survive that moment day to day. Yeah. Day to day. Because if I literally just sat there and I like talked to myself and I said, oh, this is all my fault. This is all my fault. Then fuck, dude. I mean, my life would be pretty shitty. I mean, so I try to cope with other things, hints, alcohol and other dumb shit, you know? Yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. To me, that's courageous though. You know, I don't look at it as like a negative from my perspective. Of course you, you look at it. Obviously you're entitled to look at it through your lens, but like hearing the story is like looking at the age, looking at the situation, looking at like the training, looking at the whole holistic fucking perspective it's like, dude, you were doing the best that you could do in your situation. So you push through, you tell JD, go forward, motherfucker. Like, nah, like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean this up. What is the end result of that ambush, that fucking trauma, that fucking people getting injured? What does that look like? Like the graphic part? No, just I mean, I mean, <laughs> or I, mentally? Nah, <laughs> I, I guess so much like the logistics of it. You push through. Yeah. So, I mean, we just push through, we get to the camp, right? And then, um, and I just remember, like, um, I mean, JD, I don't really remember a lot, of, to be honest. I remember Sergeant P, he was holding two grenades, and then he, he had the clips off from the two grenades. And he was like, Beanie, I need you to fucking hold this shit, put the grenades back in, or, or, or put the pins back in. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, Sergeant P, what are you doing, man? He's like, if I was going to die, I wasn't going to let these fools take me out. Like, just like that. I was going to take some fools out with me. I was like, oh, fuck, dude. Like, this dude was ready to fucking ride or die. So he had two grenades in his hands with no pins in them. And so, <laughs> so he, some war shit. Yeah, dude. So, so <laughs> fucking Sergeant P, bro, and you could ask him. Oh this is like legit God. shit. I'm not making this up. Hey, in a weird way, bro, this fires me the fuck up because I love <laughs> these motherfuckers. Dude. I don't even know them and I dude. love them. Hey, well, you know JD, though. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sergeant P was at my wedding, but yeah. But anyways, he had two grenades, bro, and the pins were off. So he literally gives them to me. He's like, here you go, Beanie. I got to go check on the rest of the squad. I was like... Sergeant P, like, your face is legit <laughs> full of blood, bro. Like, why are you oh, fucking he, tripping? He, he took a br pretty bad wound to his yeah, face. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's the one. He's going to be blind in the right eye, bro. Roger. So so he had he had blood everywhere, bro. So he's like, I got to go check on the rest of the squad. I was like, uh, like, you're fucked up, bro. Like, you, you need to go to fucking get a medevac. Uh, and then he was shit. like, no, fuck that. And he, he was like, here you go. Here you go, Beanie. He gave me the Hold these live grenades. Yeah, live grenades. So I had to go back in there, bro. And I literally used, like, little pins to close them back up. I didn't I didn't have the, the, the little thing that flips out. I don't know what it's called now. But the little pin that, that holds it, I was trying to find pins to hold it. So I went back in, and I talked to Salvadorians. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 we got you, we got you. So they put the pin through the fucking thing, 
And then that's it. I left them right there. I just left them. I don't even know where they're at. I just I just left them. I was like, cool. As long as they don't they don't blow up or kill anybody, I'm cool. But he had them, bro. And then the crazy part is, is I went inside of his Humvee to try to do uh, like a sweep of everything. And then I saw on his screen, uh, uh, what is that called? That that screen where you do the blue force tracker. It was called a blue force tracker. So I saw that on the screen, but the screen had like streaks on it, right? Like streaks. So JD told me later, bro, that that it was it was covered in blood from his his face was squirting blood out. And this dude was so fucking ghetto, bro, SRMP, that he was licking the screen, licking it to clean it. To clean it to see where the fuck he was going. That's a gangster ass motherfucker, bro. Fuck. I got bro, I'm telling you right now, bro. If I if I had to take my life for any motherfucker, bro, I mean, you know I love you, bro. I would do it for you. But but Sergeant P, bro, I'll ride or die for that motherfucker. Shout All out to day. P, man. That's a fucking and United States dude, Army soldier. He right was there, licking baby. the screen, licking his own blood off the screen just to get the fuck out of the AO. That shit's some grimy shit. <sighs> and and when JD saw him. And he was like, bro, Sergeant P, what are you doing, bro? And he was like, dude, I'm trying to get us the fuck out. And that's that's like a legit sergeant. Like, hey, I'm I'm gonna get this fucking squad out. And then think about it. He had two live grenades and he's worried about where where his other squad's at. Like, hey, I gotta check on the squad. Bro. You know what I mean? That shit gives me the chills, man. Like fucking I'm telling you, man. Literally getting chills on my body. That's the OG, that story, man. man. Sergeant Picanso. Shout out to Sergeant Picanzo. That's a fucking United States Army soldier right there. Yeah, bro. For better or for worse, taking care of the boys. You know, but I he's that. still alive, bro. He's still alive. He's in Washington. He's good got a family, you. two kids, so he's good. Good yeah. for you, Sergeant P. Much love, much respect, much admiration. Um, yeah, that's I, you, there's no words. Like I, I'm trying to think of words that would. Yeah, there's no words for that. That's fucking love. That's. That's powerful stuff, man. And he, so he licked the screen to to get it. So for people to realize it's like a laptop, laptop screen. And that gives it's like your map on where you're at and where you're going and where your checkpoint is. There's little buttons on the left and the right, if I remember correctly. So he was licking the screen to clear the visual of it, the image of it, so he can see, hey, where the fuck we're at in relation to this incident, where we need to go, how do we go, how do we go there? Yeah. And the reason the screen was blocked is because of his own blood, the screen uh, going onto the screen. And then correction, he does not have two kids. If you listen to the podcast, he'd be pissed. He has a daughter named Katie, and that's Katie, it. Shout and out then, to Katie. yeah, God but bless he, you, Katie. Yeah, Katie's the shit. But um, but yeah, but um, yeah, man. I mean, the blood was on the screen, so he didn't know what to do because he. <laughs> His hands full of grenades, ready to kill these dudes. So he started licking the screen, bro. That's a, that's that's the most gangster shit Fuck, I've ever heard. I, I I catch myself getting animated, like I'm catching myself licking my lips and getting fired up. And fucking Katie, God bless you. You have a you have a hero as a dad, and, and it's crazy because he would hear this and be like, "I'm not a fucking hero." It's what my job was. Yep. You know what I mean? Like in true yeah. military fashion. Like what the fuck? Uh, that's, I love I'll take that care dude, of my boys. Bro. You know. Sergeant P was there for me, man. God bless you, Sergeant P. God bless you, Sergeant P. God bless you. Gangster squad leader, bro. I'm telling you. I'll I'll do anything anything for that guy. I'll give my life for him. Any day of the the week. Yeah. Powerful, powerful, powerful. There's no words. There's no words. But Sergeant P, God bless you. 
thank you for doing what you do. Um, and that's such a bullshit response on like from a vet, like, oh, thank you. Like, you know, <laughs> thank like, you for your service. I, I, ca- I caught myself right now. I was like, dude, shut the yeah, fuck like, up. Shut the Who fuck the up. fuck are you? Sorry, Pete, way to keep my fucking brother alive, god damn it. Yeah. Way to keep boys alive. Hey, that's the that's the reality alive. of it. That's the real yeah. fucking answer. If nobody was listening, I'd be like, God damn, thank you for fucking keeping the troops alive, motherfucker. Yeah. No disrespect. He did his job though. He did yeah. his job, bro. Much love, much love to all the brothers, man. Your group, your collective of individuals, man. Uh, I've had the honor to chill with them, to party with them, to hang out with them. And I and and you know, there was a little bit of like, dude, will I fit in with these boys? Like I didn't experience that, but man, fucking it, it's all love, you know? Like it's all love. Like you can go through what you go through and then you get you get taken into that collective and then it's like yeah, so that that that's special. So you guys, you guys get out of that situation. You guys get back to the. Is it a fob, a cop? What, what are you guys getting back to? Yeah, and, and for for the people, it's a forward operating base or what's what's cop? I don't even know what the fuck. What's that? I don't know what a cop is. Oh, I don't like them because I've been arrested a couple times. <laughs> but I'll say, <laughs> pretty much a smaller fob, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't like. I, about cops. I ain't talking about the FBI. I ain't talking about LAPD, boy. <laughs> okay, but. well, I don't like cops. I'll tell you that much. But uh, shout out to all the cops out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah cops special. are great. Yeah, yeah cops are great. <laughs> <laughs> they provide safety to our community. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody loves a firefighter, but cops are necessary and they do a great service to our community. If I, my mom's going through some shit, I want to call a cop. But so you get out of that situation, you get back to the the base, and like, how, how's the debrief? That's what I'm always tripping on. Like, I've never been in that situation. I've never I've never dealt with what you've dealt with. And there's a gang of individuals that have deployed, like me, two times that I've never seen, heard that, seen that situation. So like, you guys go back smoking and joking, or is it like, yo, what the f-? like, what what does that look like? The debrief? Yeah. So. I was the senior sergeant. So when Sergeant P left, you know, Sergeant uh, Dudley, right? JD, uh, Joshua Dudley. So the homie JD. Yeah, the JD and then the gunner. So the first thing was, is I was a senior NCO out of that, that. So we were just trying to figure shit out. Next thing you know, first sergeant shows up, you know, he's asking what the hell happened. All these things and um we just started investigating everything and then they started asking for all the stuff that that had blood on it so that's when i decided to go and get all the equipment that the uh that the salvadorians had left behind after the medevac so that's when i got jd's um uh you know his mp um uh Brizard, you know, and got some parts of the uniform. I was able to get all the other stuff um, that I got from the um, the the vehicles, and um, yeah. And then after that, I mean, it came down to just figuring out what our next mission was. I mean, we had no time to cope, no time to think about what happened. Um, they took, uh, you know. JD, Sergeant P, and I think his name was Johnston. They took him to Baghdad. So after they they, they medevaced him out, and I remember that's the first time. I mean, I'm not I'm not kidding. That's the first time I would say that. Um, I mean, other than my dad, that I told a grown ass man that I loved him, 
<laughs> so I, I, I told uh, Sergeant P, I remember JD, uh, that I told him that I loved them as they were getting lift, you know, airlifted out in the helicopter. And uh, they always, they kind of make fun of me at that point because they know that I said that, you know, that I love them. And I said, you know, I love you guys, just so you know. And um, yeah, man. And, and and that was it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, that was the first time I ever admitted that to a grown ass man other than my dad. What inspired you to tell him that? Because uh, earlier, I would say earlier that month, one of the guys that we had served with had died in an ambush. So I felt like if, and they died in that way where they saw them leaving at a medevac and literally they died on the way to Baghdad. So I thought, I didn't know how bad it was, you know, how bad scrap they had and all this stuff. So I thought this would be the last time I have to say anything to them. So now that's why now every time I see one of my boys that I truly love, I tell them, I love you, bro. I text them that every time because I don't know when's the last time I'm going to see them, text them because I don't know if they're ever going to respond again. You know, so I tell them that, you know, not to get, you know, too deep in the weeds, but I try to tell them that because I may not get that opportunity ever again. Fuck. I've been on the receiving end of that. So, (laughs) you know, that's fucking just took me a moment to realize that I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to breeze over that. Like, yeah, shit. I've gotten one of those texts or I've gotten one of those calls and to see the origin of that story or to see where it comes from is like, fuck, that puts that in perspective, you know? Cause it's so easy to be like, I love you too, bro. Fucking, I got you, homie. In my head, you may be like, motherfucker, he had like seven too many fucking Victorias. (laughs) 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 But really, that's coming from a deeper place, man. And that's real shit right there, bro. That's fucking, that's what this is. That's that's what we do this for. So that's that's real. And then, so you, 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 um. you, you go through all that trauma and and I've realized I've realized that your story is too quick and, and so deep and so special to me that I'm we're, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this in one time. And I and I've never thought like I'd be like, oh, I'm going to do like a part two or anything. But like, shit, bro, like you mean too much to me. You you mean too much to the culture. You mean too much to the community to ever try to fucking wrap this up in one so I just realized in my head right now, like, this is heavy information to receive. So I'm imagining how heavy it is to give, right? To be on the the end of giving it and to be, you know, distributing it. So definitely going to do another one of these post-military. But as we, as we kind of wrap up, man, um, fuck, I appreciate you. And, 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 and definitely not the end, but I just want to say, like, yeah, I, I, I want to get to a life post-military, but I realize this is too heavy for me to really process and to really digest. And, and I can imagine that as a consumer of this is like, yo, I want I want to hear this. I want to sit with this before I take the next level. So you, and even this sounds chicken shit, but 
you you go through that deployment and how long was the deployment uh 13 months fucking 13 months how wrong was that from the military first of all but you, you, <laughs> you and and i guess getting getting to you know post deployment and shit so you go through the ambush what does life look like is it is it heavy after that does it slow down how, how do we dwindle down past the that major traumatic fucking event you know yeah so um yeah man and i got stop loss which is funny because my contract ended before i had to go to iraq but i got stop loss which is oh, yeah. yeah what's stop loss oh a lot of these youngsters don't know what stop loss is so basically if your contract is due before your unit's about to deploy um they could be like oh you're stop lost and that means you got to roll with the unit <laughs> whether or not your your contract is done or not the the ogs know what stop loss and means. the idea behind that is like hey if you're gonna get on seven months right. we're still gonna be in deployment so don't think you're going home motherfucker. Right. you're gonna finish this joint out right so that's what happened so i got stop loss but yeah so i got back i had at the time i had a girlfriend um and then i didn't know i had you know all the other the traumas and the PTSD and all that shit that I had going on. I didn't know that how it was going to affect me until after I got back because I literally got back on, what was it? April 13th? No, April. It was like somewhere mid April and I was out of the military on May 13th. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have taps. There was no taps. There was no transition <laughs> assistance. Like Real quick it. though. So before you got out, like after that, went in relation to your deployment, you did 13 months. When, when, when did that shit crack? Like mid later at later end. When did that shit crack? What, what, what shit crack? The getting ambushed and seen. Oh shit. No, it was actually like, like two months in. So, uh, Let's see, we were there in March. So, oh no, actually a month in. So it, 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 April 5th, I remember that day to, to the T. April 5th is when we got ambushed. And then like two months later is when we got ID. So uh, after that, which is crazy, like after that is actually everything calmed down. So we got hit in the beginning. And then after that, we're like all hypervigilant. Everything's, you know, like, oh shit, what's, what's about to go down? And everything else was, I mean... We got mortared, stuff like that. And that's the crazy part. Is we, we tend to, you know, downgrade the other yeah. stuff. But it's like, dude, we got mortared. But I'm like, yeah, the rest of the shit was easy. It's like, nah, it wasn't, bro. I could have got killed in my own, like, in my sleep. You know, like, sleeping in the in the little, in the little, um, whatever the hell they're called. The, the, either, it was, either it was a building that we were taking over or some random-ass camp that we were at. And we got mortared every night. We could have got killed in our sleep, but so just, more indirect fire, right? Right. Yeah. So that shit happens April fifth. Um, scary, fucking super scary, and I don't want to breeze over it because it's so impactful. But like, what does the rest of your deployment look like? Um, I think I, I mean, other than the ambush and the mortar attacks, I think the the thing that mainly like i would say messed us up would probably be the id because that's where i got my tbi from that's what kind of messed us up and it was the same driver that i had during the ambush so pray to god that he's doing okay i mean 
he looks like he's doing okay. I don't have a Facebook account anymore, but he looks like he's doing okay with he's got a family and stuff. But he it was the same driver, and then um yeah, and then we we got hit with the ID, and it fucked up my gunner pretty bad. I mean to the point where you know he ended up not you know dying from it. So an IED is an improvised explosive device. So you ran over a bomb and it went off. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and it went off and then it knocked us all out. But my gunner got the worst because he's up top. So his his brain and everything, his body, half of his body's exposed. So he was knocked out. And then, I mean, I just remember, like, looking at him. His eyes were in the back of his head. You know, he's bleeding out of his ears. It was, it was like, it was bad to see my boy like that. Cause that was like my best friend, you know? So, um, yeah, man. And then, and then that was it. That I think that, that I would say that was out of all the things, it was the ambush ID and then <laughs> just the regular shit, regular shit, man. Which Mortal regular sex. shit is not normal. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we just normalize it as regular shit. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to breeze over that. So you saw your boy Baker fucking OG rest in peace, fucking living, you know, a legend. Um, so your, your vehicle, where are you at? Where are you at on that convoy when your ID? Uh, we're third vehicle and then the LT, basically fucked up and it didn't, didn't make <laughs> didn't make a right turn when he needed to make a right turn so he told us all to stop well he made a u-turn to turn back around and when we stopped we were just like a sitting duck you know so we're we're a sitting duck in an intersection so of course they're gonna let the bomb go off and then we just happen to be the um the vehicle that that got it so we are all knocked out um we don't know how long we were knocked out for but i know what the driver was knocked out. I was knocked out. And then, um, like, you know, Baker flew into the vehicle, into the vehicle instead of out, but which was the gunner Baker. Yeah. He was the gunner. Yeah. So he, so he got it. And, I mean, there was blood coming out of his ears and then there was no tact on the radio, bro. Like all that tact about, Oh, Roger that <laughs> fucking one Charlie. Cause that was our team, bro. One Charlie. Remember I told you that USC, and, baby. and I always remember one Charlie cause of your brother, bro. And I, and, and that was my team is one Charlie. So we were always night stalker, one Charlie, all that tact went out the window, bro. I was like, one Charlie fucking, we got a Baker's down. I didn't give a fuck. Like, I, I went out. He's fucking bleeding. I was going off, bro. His ears are bleeding. I was like, George Lopez. It was like, his, his ears are bleeding. No sé qué pasa. They were like, what the fuck? Even the squad leader was like, damn, bro. Like, you're becoming trilingual up in this bitch. I was like, yeah, man. But he was fucked up, man. We took him to the med station. And I, I, I never realized, bro, that... The TBI affected me, and literally until uh, uh, 2006, when I walked out of my house one day, it was a bright, sunny day. I walked out to pick up the mail, and I was in Lancaster, bro. I bought my house. I was in Lancaster. I walk out, and I literally walk out, and I start getting a, like a really bad headache, and I start puking in my front yard. Oh, and then my neighbor, who was watering the yard, he's like, hey, man, you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm all right, man. I, I, I don't know what I'm feeling. I, start, I just started puking, puking, puking in my front yard. I'm like, fuck. I, I, I crawl back inside the house. I'm like, damn, I feel I feel better in here because there's, like, shade or whatever. I go to the VA. Uh, they they tell me, oh, that, that could, those could be symptoms of TBI. I'm like, what the hell is TBI? They're like, oh, it's traumatic brain injury. I'm like, well, I don't know what that is. 
I, I had never had a clue, bro. It was 2006. So that's literally like two, uh, what, like a year after I got out of the army. I didn't, I didn't know what that was. And then that's, that's how I got prescribed to TBI clinic at Long Beach and all that other shit. And I got the glasses. You're the OG with the, the lokes, but when, <laughs> when, when that happened in, in the, in the IED, when, when homeboy Baker got hit and you all got hit, you guys were knocked down and you had a recovery vehicle come to you, like somebody help you or what does that look like? No, we just, we just woke up. We, I mean, I literally woke up. I saw like gunfire or I mean, uh, I smelled gun smoke and then the driver just looked at me. I was like, punch it. And we just drove through the intersection and then uh, one of the tires are flat. Obviously, the whole uh, right side of the Humvee was all fucked up. And then he just drove through. But the, the, all the other Humvees were, were kind of circulating around the area because they're like, oh, shit. You know, obviously, our, our Humvee got hit. So they got out of their Humvee and dismounted. So then he, I said, bro, just make a U-turn. Go around the other way. We're going back to the camp. Like, fuck everybody else. Like, we're going okay. back because I see this fool is fucked up. So when I look back and I, you know, I jumped in the back seat, I had my flashlight cause this was at night. So I had the, the, them ghetto ass flashlights <laughs> with the red lenses on them. And I was like, dude, I was like, Baker, wake up. You know, I thought he was dying, bro. Cause he was going into convulsions. So I was like, Oh, oh you saw him shaking. Yeah. He was shaking. His eyes rolled in the back of his head and then he had blood coming out of his ears, his nose. And I, I just kept shaking. I'm like, Baker, Baker. And that's on, your bro. gunner. That's the person standing up in the vehicle. Like, pointing the weapon like to be yeah. like hey i'm gonna keep everybody cool yeah bro so he went down so when i jumped in the back seat and i was like hey bro get us back to the base that's all i told the driver get us back to the base and then he was like okay roger that <clears throat> he knew how we weren't far from the base bro. we weren't we were at an all-girls school in um shit d1 yeah, Diwania, bro. Jim knows about that. Oh, I was going about to yeah. say that's. Yeah. I know you guys. Diwania. We were in the same spot in Iraq, which is kind of funny. But yeah, we we're in Diwania, and that's when we were with the old Ironsides with Force Armor. So we went back, bro, and then they took him to the medevac station. Everything, bro. He was gone for like two weeks. He came back, and that dude was a straight up asshole. After that, like oh, he was a straight up fucking asshole. So that's why I, I relate that to the story about whole thing was gauged like his whole mind was different bro he wasn't like himself you could, you, could you tell right away yeah when he came back he wasn't himself bro he was super angry like just a different person it wasn't him and i was like bro and that's when i walked to the first time and i was like look i love this guy he's my brother but he needs to be removed from my team he's the best damn gunner we have but i'm willing to give that up because i'm not willing to give up my friendship with him so I'm not, I'm because he's literally going off on me every day, like for no reason. I'll just tell him something. Oh, fuck you. Da, 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 da. But at that time, I didn't know about TBI. I didn't know what, how, how traumatic that could have been. I didn't know how it affected his behavior. I didn't know that. So I just asked the first time, like, please, like, can you just put him in another unit? Because this dude is like way too crazy, way too aggro. I can't deal with this. I can't, I can't deal with that. I bet you that shit was hard for you. It was, bro, because that's my best friend. I mean, I would die for him, you know. I go, I talk to his mom every day, you know. I, I, it's, it's rough, man, because we're looking back, and then all the other homies are like, damn, you guys were, like, attached to the hip. You did everything together. I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, he even got me my first fake ID. 
I don't know if I should be saying that shit on the podcast. <laughs> but he got me my first fake ID, bro. I was 20. He got it for me. He was like, hey, I want you to go to the club with me. I want you to go to the bar with me. So you knew right away when he got hit that that shit fucked him up. You just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I didn't know how serious it was. That's what it was. I didn't know how serious. I mean, I knew it fucked him up, but I didn't, you know, we're young, bro. I, I didn't know. I didn't know how bad it fucked him up to where it messed up his personality. Where he started doing like dumb shit and then it started getting aggravated. Like it, it just messed up his whole personality, man. He was not Baker. He was like Baker, but like angry, like the angry Baker. So it messed up his like, I don't know, his mood or whatever, bro. Every day. That's crazy, man. That's yeah. fucking deep shit. That's hard, bro. I could like thinking about it like putting it in the context with us is like I would know you one day and then some shit happens to you and then you just flip out on me. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Dude, this is not the dude I know. Like right. that's not you, bro. Like yeah. why are you flipping out on me? Like Right. But you would think like, okay, maybe this dude's having like a bad day. Yeah. But let's say that I was doing that like consistently for like fucking two weeks straight. You'd be like, dude, what the fuck? Like, okay, there's something up with this dude. And I was getting angry at everything, everything. So then he would he would point out stuff. He was E4, so he would point out, oh, well, I know more shit. I've been in the Army longer than you. I don't know why the fuck, you know, they promoted you. And I was like, what? Like, I've been in E5 this whole time. Like, why are you tripping on that shit? And he's like, no, fuck that. I should be in E5 because I'm older than you. I'm like, okay, well, do what you got to do. Like, I'm not giving you shit. And then he, he would just trip out on everything. Trip out on everything I was saying, everything. Oh, no, we should do this differently. I'm like, okay, well, do that. And then I just started noticing, like, a trend. I'm like, wait, this dude literally is, like, getting mad at me for, like, dumb shit. Now he's not talking to me. This is, like, my best friend. And now he's not doing any. He's, like, a different person. Like, it literally changes mind how it is. At what month did you tell your first sergeant, like, hey, man, shit ain't working out with him? Like, you guys in the back end of the deployment? No, no, it was like two weeks into after that ID happened. I, I reached out to him. His name is First Sergeant Horn. And then I told my squad leader. My squad leader was like, okay, well, you know, we need this approval from the First Sergeant to switch into a different squad or a different platoon. I told the First Sergeant. The First Sergeant was like, okay, Roger that. I see that your friendship is more important. So I'm going to switch him to, um, he's like, what, what platoon do you think he would do best in? And I was like, uh, what platoon is attached to special forces? Because this motherfucker's nuts. And they, <laughs> yeah, bro, I said that. And he's like, uh, second platoon or first? Uh, I might have been first platoon. I'm not sure, bro. He's like, because we, because we, that's what's crazy, bro. A lot of people think, oh, MPs or bitches or like Blue Falcons that just snitch on people. But field MPs, like our unit, Bro, you ask any of the guys, bro, they're, they'll tell you straight up. Like, they're like, nah, we weren't bitches giving out tickets. I'll tell you that, bro. Different we, time. Yeah, different, it was different. different times because we were attached to different units, bro. I was attached to old Ironsides. You saw my combat patch. Like, and then other people were attached to special forces. Like, that's not a bitch-ass MP that's attached to special forces. They're going to do their thing. So and then the first time I was like, okay, Roger that. I'm going to attach them to them. And then I talked to him, like, two weeks later, he was super stoked. He was happy. He's like, yeah, I killed, like, three, four people. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, how does that make you happy, bro? Like, but he was, like, already nuts, you know? So he didn't care. He was like, yeah, bro, I don't even have to wear a Kevlar. I'm like, golly, bro. Rest I'll tell peace, you what. Man. Rest in peace. That he shit. Was nuts. 
That's that trauma. That's that trauma. Trauma, that yeah. Trauma creeps back in, and then we find our spot in fucking insanity, and then we realize that this is either normalized or it's like right. So yeah. fuck, man. And then and then and then the deployment ends, and I know I'm trying to like expedite it, but it's not really. But like, because I know the days were long and the nights were long, but like. The deployment ends and then uh what's that like because that, that that's where we that's where we're gonna wrap it up because i i feel like shit and take longer yeah it's it's, 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 it's too rich two. it's too rich it's too rich man i don't think so, people care too much bro but i think I'm people glad. i think i care you know what thanks I mean? bro i care man i ain't doing this for nobody else but myself collect thanks. these conversations because they matter to me because you're one of my best friends in the whole world and like the love you talk about other people, I talk about you too, about you, about for other people. So I don't give a fuck if nobody cares, to be honest. With you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what I was supposed to say. No, that, but this but is kind of cool, bro, because this is the first time I talk about this shit. That's the groovy you know shit I mean? about it, that's bro. That's the cool that's shit. That's the groovy shit yeah. about it, man. That's the, that's the magic, you know? Man. You, open, you opened up a gateway for me to talk about it. Because it's not like I could talk about it, bro. That's that You're that's in front of my wife. That's you know? the thing I talk. That's the thing I struggle with now. In my in my day to day, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna vent because there's a space for me to vent as well. But like, uh, what's my purpose in this life? And it's it's so much more than my profession or my career. It's documenting these conversations. So they matter to me. So that that that's what I have to fucking lean on is that it matters to me. So he goes to another unit. He he does his shit. You continue on mission like a fucking true soldier. You, you, you know, not trying to minimize that, but hey, the mission continues. You rack it out. What what's that back end of the deployment look like before you redeploy to Fort Lewis? Yeah, so um, so my driver was such a good driver that I ended up losing him to uh, an ASV team, which is called a uh, it's an armored security vehicle. Right, so some units have it, some units don't, but they have an armored security vehicle. It basically, looks like a like a glorified striker, kind of with four wheels. Um, people know about strikers because they got fucking what is it, eight wheels infantry vehicle or whatever. So this is like a glorified striker with four wheels. That's what I call it. So he became a, a striker or a, a ASV driver. For a team so they pulled him because he was a really good driver clearly the dude had a lot of fucking experience through ids and getting blown up in ambushes so they took him to to make him an asv driver so i got a new driver and a new gunner which just sucked because they were kids i mean they were literally 19 year olds i got a dominican yeah, he was from Dominican Republic, from New York. He thought he was a gangster. He was only 19. And then I got another uh, kid that he was also 19. Um, and he was probably, <laughs> he was a all right gunner, but, I mean, he was lost in the sauce, just fucking lost in the woods. But, yeah, I ended up getting them towards the end of the deployment, got back, you know, turned them, I, I always say, you know, my goal as a sergeant was to turn in my soldiers to their parents, you know. So that was my goal is, like, I'm going to turn in your child to you because that's my goal is to keep them alive. That's all I did. So the parents are crying, bro, and they're like, oh, thank you so much for doing that. 
And looking back at it, I'm like, damn, man, I was only like 24. <laughs> like, I was a fucking child Put myself. Me in charge. <laughs> yeah, I was a child myself, man. I was lost in the sauce myself, but I brought him back. And then that's why I look back. I'm like, damn, man, I'm 40, but I legit feel like 60, you know, like how old I am. But yeah, I brought him back literally. And then, and then that was it, man. I, I we came back in April and I got, I got out May 13th, I remember, man. Uh, driving to California, my little uh, Nissan Altima, driving down to California full of shit, and then I just drove to Lancaster to my house that I didn't even know I bought, because I, 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 I gave 30 racks to my dad for my dad <laughs> to buy the house for me, <laughs> and then he bought it for me, and he was like, okay, mijo, aquí está. He's like, uh, here's your house. I was like, damn, I didn't even get to pick it. He's like, no, but está bonita. Like, it's all right. It's, it's nice. <laughs> so I get there, bro. I'm like, damn, this shit has carpet, no hardwood floors. I'm like, okay, I can't be picky. I almost died last month. So I'll take it. <laughs> so, yeah, bro. The AC I mean, don't work and shit. Yeah. I, know. Okay. I was like, I'll take what I can get. I was in a fucking cooler. I couldn't take a shower for like two months. I'll take what I can get. Roger that. I, I was taking a shower from a water buffalo. <laughs> People were like, damn, is that an animal? But like, nah, it's a tank just full of water. But uh, but yeah, man. So that's how that's how I ended up in Lancaster, man. And then after that, then I don't even I, know if I want to go after that. I don't even know if because I want because my transition. Yeah. Yeah, I want I want that story because that story is so rich. What you do now, how you impacted and affected so many people. And I, and, and I say with a great deal of pride and respect that I come from the camp of Benitez and I come from the camp of Kevin and I come from the camp of fucking how to treat people right and with respect and with kind and compassion I come from that camp and I take that very fucking serious in my career my profession my the industry that I'm trying to fucking be a leader in I come from that camp I come from your camp you know so I don't even know if I want to go into that right now because I, I that's that's a whole nother fucking <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's like a whole nother two hours. We're at the two two twenty five mark, two thirty mark. But um I just wanna I, I just wanna ask you like before we wrap it up, because it's so easy to put a bow tie on it, but um like your deployments and everything you've experienced before we get into that next step, which is a part two. I never thought I would do, but I'm gonna do a part two because this man deserves it because he's a fucking leader in my life and I don't give a fuck. By anybody else, I'm doing this for me. So, yeah, uh, aggressive. yeah it was aggressive, yeah. a little bit aggressive, a little bit aggressive. But uh, I'm sorry. But uh, um, there's no way we could put a bow tie on what you experienced in that deployment or what you've done. But like, ha, 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 like before you get into that next step, before we get into that next step, I just want to understand your mind. I want to understand how 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 were you coming back mentally? Like mentally, because that's something that's never talked about in our culture and our community. But like all that shit, like redeploying, you're like, all right, I'm out of the military. I'm going to go back home to Lancaster. Like that's breezed over. But like, what's that really like? Like, what's that? What goes through your mind? Is it do you compartment? Do you like do you put that in a little category? Do you just be like, hey, this was military shit. Now I'm getting ready to go back to fucking Lancaster or what really goes through your mind at that time? Uh, I would say that, I mean, the, the, your mind's not ready. You just survive to whatever you have. 
right? The one thing I had learned, I mean, I'll probably elaborate more on um, on the <laughs> if there is a next segment. But uh, if there's a next, segment, <laughs> it's gonna be. But no, no, there's no next segment. But um, the fuck. But I would say the one thing I learned the most looking back is that um, one thing my therapist said is that she said, um, so when you were in Iraq and shit went down, you, you, did you choose to not feel sadness? Did you choose to not feel anger? Did you choose to um, not react a certain way when you got ambushed, when your buddy died, all this other stuff? And I was like, not negative. Like I didn't, I didn't choose that. And she's like, why not? And I said, well, I, I never considered it. I never thought about that. And she's like, okay, because it literally was life or death, right? You didn't have a choice of what you felt, what anger, what emotion you felt, whatever. She's like, so you don't get to feel or choose when you get them back. And I was like, damn, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because the, the reason it came up is like when I was coming back from deployment, I would say, um, okay, why do I just randomly drive down the freeway other than like <laughs> me swerving under overpasses because I thought they were throwing bombs at me? Uh, <laughs> why do I just start crying randomly? Like what, what, what is the point of that? Like why do I just start crying? Like I, I have no reason. I have no sad thoughts and all that stuff. Like I just started bawling in my car. And then she was like, well, that's the thing. You never chose for those emotions and stuff to leave your body, so you don't get to choose when they come back. Oh, bro, shit. that shit legit blew my fucking mind, bro. Fucking deep. It was deep as fuck, bro. That shit changed my whole fucking life. Because I was like, dude, what? I, I don't get it. Like, I just start crying. And she's like, yeah, well, you, don't, you, you didn't choose when they left, so you don't get to choose when they come back, bro. Game changer for me, bro. I was like, what the fuck? Like, this whole time, like, that's why I'm thinking... I'm fucking psycho. Like, why the fuck am I crying? Why am I tripping on this stuff? Oh, I'm a bitch. I'm just crying in my car. Why do I got to pull over and just cry? Why do I got to do that? She's like, because you don't get to choose that. Because when you're in Iraq, motherfuckers are dying. You don't get to choose when, the bo when those emotions leave your body. So you don't get to choose when they come back either. Bro, I'm telling you, that's some deep, like, game changer type shit. And that shit fucking, that changed my whole life. So now when I get emotional in the car, I just pull over, fucking cry, do whatever. Not no bitch shit. I don't worry about like, oh, who the fuck's going to see me? Like, fuck that. I've been through some shit. I got to handle my business. I'm going to just cry for a little bit. Whatever I got to do. Dude, like today, bro, I went to Starbucks, got some coffee. You know, I pulled over. I was like, okay, I can't drive like in this condition. I need to go to Starbucks. Let me get some coffee real quick on the way over there. But yeah, so that shit was like a game changer for me. So that transition is fucking crazy, bro, from the military to now. Like, like, but that's me also going to therapy and taking the initiative like, okay, I need to fix myself. I need to see what's happening. Why am I acting this way? Why am I behaving this way? Fuck, that's deep. <laughs> That's why we're going to do a part two to this shit. Oh, shit. That's a teaser. That's a teaser for teaser number two. Teaser for number two. Hey, look. I want to tell you something, man. And I want to tell it to you. And I'm not going to look at you because I get weird if I look uh, at you in your no, eyes. No, don't look at me. Don't look, don't me look at eyes. you. Because yeah. girls you. don't like that. Yeah. But um, you're a great inspiration to me, man. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm so... 
There's no way that I can verbalize my appreciation for you sharing this and for you talking vividly and candidly and opening up with me about this because I know I'm I'm a, I'm a selected few individuals that you would share this and for you to bless this platform for you to talk about this in this dynamic I know it's not easy and I know there's a lot of work that comes with that and I know there's a lot of repercussions afterwards because it's easy for us to say hey somebody's going to share something you you talked about that okay I'm going to put that in a fucking soup box I'm going to put that in a in a in a piece of luggage I'm going to zip it up and then it's over I talked about it and it's over I know there's going to be repercussions that come with this but I want to let you know that I love you and that I appreciate you and I'm thankful for you for blessing this platform, for blessing me with your stories because I, I, I say with a great deal of pride and I say with a great deal of respect that I, I come from your camp. And what I mean by that, some people don't understand that what, the, what I mean by that because I tell that openly. Yeah, I come from the camp of so-and-so. I come from the camp of, but I come from the camp of leadership of understanding what vulnerability is. And I understand that vulnerability is a strength. And between us, we, we joke about that. Offline, we say silly shit about that. And there's people that will listen to this that'll be like, yeah, I've heard these fools say that. <laughs> vulnerability is a strength. And we joke about it and we but say it that. Legit is. That's the crazy part. That's what's uh. juicy about it. And that's why I love you. And that's why I appreciate you. And that's why I'm thankful for you. And that's why I appreciate you opening up and, and, and providing me this insight because what I think the world doesn't do a good enough job in or what I think society doesn't do a good enough job in or what I think our collective, our community doesn't do a good enough job in is appreciating these conversations. And that's the premise of this shit is that I do appreciate you and I do value you and I do respect what you have to share and I do fucking don't take this I don't take this lightly because I'm very blessed for you to share it with this platform and to share it with these people, whoever the fuck it listens. So I really don't care. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I do. I do this for us. I do this for yeah. the for the fucking community, for people that get us, the people that understand us. You, if you don't like this, then hey, with all due respect, I don't. I don't really care. <laughs> but <laughs> what I do care about is you being in this space with me, and I love you for that. I love you for that, and I love you for that, and I love you for that. So thank you, because this is so much more to me than the consumers of this. This is for me. This is for my therapy. This is for my um, belonging and my space for me to understand myself better. And I have a great deal of respect and love and admiration for you, brother. So thank you for doing this. Um, there will be a part two. Uh, Kevin's kind of like a... Like uh, like someone that'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna talk to you tomorrow, and then you may not see him for like eight months. So, <laughs> <laughs> if there may there may be delay in part two, but I'm gonna try to bring him back for y'all because the testimony post all of this is where I'm super enriched by. I didn't go through these experiences with this with this leader. I didn't go through this trials and tribulations with him. But what I did get to see is the the growth afterwards. And that's what has made me the man that I am today. And that's what has made me the leader I am today. And I contribute, I attribute to it all because of you, because of your vulnerability and because of your willingness to speak about what you've been through. So I love you. I respect you. 
you're one of my best friends. You're you're my brother. You're my you're my uh, confidant. You're somebody that I go to when shit gets rocky. You're also somebody that I go to when things are going good. When I get a win in my life, I usually call you or text you first. <laughs> and when things are going bad, I usually call you or text you first. And I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. That's not a joke. That's not being funny. That's not being silly. You are someone that I go to in the good or in the bad. And if we ever made this about me, there are times right now that we can both rec- you know, go to where I've called you, where I've not been in a good place, that I needed somebody to pick me up. And I needed somebody to fucking instill hope in me. I needed somebody to remind me who I am. And there's also been times where things have gone good and they're too good. I need somebody to tell me, hey, think about this. Think about that. Slow down, motherfucker. You ain't hot shit. And that's why I love you. That's why I appreciate you because you're my brother. You know, Thank you for being you, and I thank you for everything you've been through, and I thank you for sharing these stories with me, and I thank you for bringing me into your family and your collective. I've got to meet these individuals that you tell stories about, and I've got to drink beers with them, and I've got to tell, you know, some of these stories I can't tell because there's fucking litigation that would come after that. But that's the the Especially the Especially Reese, bro. Yeah, don't yeah. say that sh- Shout out to Big Reese. Yeah, Reese Cup. Reese Cup, the big homie, the OG. Yeah. I would love to get you on here. Reese, JD, if you're listening to this, come fuck with the podcast. Come bless the podcast. But I love you, my brother. The next phase that we'll do will be part two. You're the only person that I'll ever bring back again for a part two because this is where shit cracks off for me. So if you're listening to this, email me. Text us, tell us a fucking story, uh, say how this story impacted you, and we'll do it with an outro. So, Kevin, what I do right now, I know people are like, why do you do an intro with the outro? But fuck you, I don't care. So we're going to hit it with the outro, and we're going to eat this Del Taco. What the fuck? What am I going to do? No, you don't got to do nothing. I'm just going to hit this. Oh. I love you, okay? <laughs> I love you, too. Any bro. last words you want to say before we get to part two? Nah, man. I love you, too, bro, and it, it, it just means a lot. And I don't get... I mean, if people listen to this shit, <laughs> I'm telling you, if you thought part one was good, <laughs> you finna think part two is better. <laughs> <laughs> My man putting in the cell. That's what I love to hear. Let's hear this shit. Hey, what's up, everybody? Love you, bro. This is Kevin Thank you, okay? Love you, too, bro. Thank just you Just kicking in here with uh, Mr. Ortega. On so you get the outro with the same shit? Get it? Yeah, everybody gives me a hard time. All right, I love you. Good night. Drink water. This is Alex. This is another collection of conversations. It's a beautiful night to be alive.